There's no way as a coach you can say that I have an experienced rationale above my players on something like the wall. Let's see, does this work together? And then if you get a good vibe off it, let's bring it in. If you don't, all right, coach. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Right at down. Half past seven, OTBAM, Friday morning. Good morning to you, wherever it is you are at. We have an absolutely stacked show with a stacked lineup for you this morning. Johnny Ward, good morning to you. Very good morning, Adrian. Second morning running. Yep. Um, slight apologies. I, I was at Kilbegan last night, so I missed uh, your local track. I missed the absolute mess. We have oh, Harry, we get into that. Harry Maguire back that. on the back page again, and Man United 2 0 up, lose 5 2 over the two legs. So I missed the mess, but I'm looking forward to hearing you guys discuss what went wrong. And has it all gone wrong already for Ten Hag? We'll get into that, don't worry about it. Um, mm. I better introduce him because I, I, get, um, I get a weekly review, Johnny, into my WhatsApp inbox every Saturday afternoon. WhatsApp it inbox? Could be, it could be several, several voice notes from Canada with a review of the show. And what's what's gone wrong? What's gone right? It very can be a very critical mm. um, review from this particular source in Canada, uh, but sometimes it says, "Why is Colm jumping in before he gets introduced?" So welcome on, welcome on, on into the fold, Colm. Exa- exaggerated. Good morning, delay there. Great to see you. Morning, Johnny. Pleasure to be in morning. your company. Morning, Johnny. Great to have you. Great to have you in. Two days in a row. I was in Canada a few months ago. What a what a spot! Like yeah. Toronto, unbelievable city. My well, buddies just moved back there. Uh, uh, for work, yeah, and I suppose at this age when you move somewhere like that's the the nineteen eighties kind of uh, you're gone forever. Like what one, part? One phone call a month. What, what part? part? Toronto. He's, he's in Toronto. 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 I've never been to Canada. Uh, Toronto is it's just very expensive. Like it's yeah, it's, I've heard that. It's the same. I, um, it's it has the echoes of Dublin, but like a really friendly, beautiful city. Yeah, the review I got at Toronto was it's just so perfect and well run that it's almost boring. I didn't find there's, it boring. There's no edge to it. Mm. And you can go in this uh, public park and you could have like 15 different groups all doing different things. And the idea was, if that was in Ireland, like, it would all just be messed up. Like, you'd mm. have gangs infiltrating other ones. Gangs. There'd be a bit of, there'd be a bit of uh, <laughs> what, what part of aggression. What part of Dublin? Yeah. What gangs? Well, are the gangs hanging around yeah, the parks doing like yoga? Too, I don't think that's too much about? of a stretch. Like, like, you have one gang over here doing yoga and then another gang over here doing Pilates and that they might sort of, there could be a ruckus. So in Canada, yeah, it's just, it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't work out, like you know. And uh, but listen, listen, there's enough to talk about. Johnny's already prompted us. Um, what happened there? No, before all of that, ah, Kilbegan. Stop now. No, that Kilbegan, yeah. It, Jim Sheridan was there, right? <laughs> I was like, what are you? Movie director. Um, so I ended up big racing man. He 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 owned um, Vinnie Rowe, who would have been a really good stare for Dermot Wells, and um, really really good horse. And uh, Jim is working on. Him. He's working on a, the next kind of sequel, I guess, to the Sophie Tuscan de Plantia stuff. And he did mention how well it had done uh, in terms of viewing figures. I, I don't know if you watched it. Oh, yeah. I watched all those Sophie Tuscan de Plantia stuff. Yeah. Um, the podcast, amazing. The podcast, yeah. And he, he's working on, interestingly, when talking about Dublin gangs, he's working on, um, I think it's a movie about his mother's upbringing sort of in Sheriff Street direction and, okay. and the Catholic upbringing that... He had in the Catholic Ireland at that time, so it sounds very interesting. He kind of didn't have a lift home. Did you get so a spare? Did you? I was like, first of all, I don't drive, like so. Okay. I was offering Jim Sheridan a lift home, even though I myself was getting a lift yeah. home from a guy who works in sort of for the 
the old turf club. It would all have been very bizarre. Um, unfortunately, it didn't materialise, but he was getting the train to Tullamore, then he was getting a lift to Kilbegan, and it was just all very surreal. It was a real, really like run-of-the-mill race meet uh-huh. at your local track, as I'll mention again. And there was Jim Sheridan talking about the future and the past and what has passed, passing in to come and all that. Lovely man. There's just um, a quality to Johnny Ward meets that I think at some point or another we just need to make I, happen. I did actually mention this with our old buddy Kieran Bradley who's doing so well with his podcasts uh, of late I did mention this in a WhatsApp group yesterday mm. an idea for a podcast right because I love I do podcasts but they're basically like weekly stuff on what happened this week but podcasts that you can download on road trips are I love them I yeah. really do love them like like you know Gubu and West Cork and all that mm. stuff Meeting the Murder oh yeah so I was thinking I've become a bit fascinated by... Um, this is not a murder now. I've become a bit fascinated by Jerry Hutch. You sit with us over there. I'm, Come on. I'm, 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 relax. I've become a bit fascinated by... Lean into it. ...by uh, Jerry Hutch. Colin, you, you, you'll love this by the end. I've become a bit fascinated by Jerry Hutch. Right. How about doing a podcast where you see the other side? Why did you go down this route? Why are you on? Why are you in life in prison? What was your upbringing like? Um, have you any remorse? Go to the prison. Delve deep into the soul of, of the murderer. Mm-hmm. Um, and do an eight-part series sponsored by something, something. Got let off during the week, of course, is uh, the point that we were probably... He wasn't a murderer. To, ...to make this. No, but I'm, I'm actually... I'm just fascinated by him and his kind of reputation in the, in the inner city, how people seem to love him. Yeah. Um, um, I think Harry Maguire should have Pier, dealt with Piers the ball Morgan much has, better uh, from Piers David De Gea's pass. Uh, beaten you to the punch on that um, line of... He's, he's, he's done a series of interviews with... Um, not in Ireland, though. Who are, no, Col- no, not in Ireland. Colm's just, Colm's just disgusted over here. He is. The more he's disgusted, the more I'm tempted to sort of. We just keep the conversation. Yeah, it'll be great. It'll be a great show that way. Uh, yeah. Um, eating Harry Maguire. Very interesting. Um, what? What's what? What? Now that you're like, you're, well, like you're, the, the, my on. first thought because the the commentary team are saying like, oh, what's David De Gea doing passing that ball there? But I was thinking modern elite football, mm. top level, like. Harry Maguire called for the ball. He was in space when they had the ball at his feet. And as many people said online, if they had punted that up the field, which is his natural instinct to do, he would have been criticised for that. Oh, he, this guy can't play ball. So then he passes it into Maguire's feet. It's not the crispest of passes. I'll give him that. But it is good enough for a player of Maguire's calibre because Maguire isn't a bad player. Like when he plays for England, Maguire is decent. He gets the ball at his feet and then immediately closes down by three Sevilla players. Do one of two things. Like, let the ball beat you and turn your man and have enough instinct and awareness around you that you know that these players are too close to you. So just turn around. Or pass it straight back to De Gea. And well, then De Gea you'll ask that. me as to Maguire look for the ball from De Gea because then Sevilla immediately, they go into the, the mode of like... He had space. If you watch it... But it doesn't matter. If you watch it back, right, and even on the TV last night, they did an excellent piece of analysis on it. Just to point out, we were myself and Colin were over and back on WhatsApp about it last night, and I did uh, call that early on in relation to the goalkeeper. But uh, like it, there's an obsession, and I was listening to Talksport in the way, and as I ever, do every Friday morning, there's an obsession with saying it was Maguire's fault or it was De Gea's fault. There's loads of blame to go around. Mm. Like they were both. That's why we're here. And, yeah. and De Gea <laughs> plays it into Maguire, and as you say, the, the, the you and you said it last night that well he could just play it back to him. That wasn't an option. It wasn't. It was. It was one hundred percent. I would urge you option. to watch back the clip. I've, I've watched it several times I, you, in increasing in, he, incredulity. It was not of what an option to pass back because what they'd done was the, the uh, Sevilla attackers had on three uh, sides box Maguire in so the only option was to turn tail and go back up the pitch which is of course what he should have done but there's, he, there's sprang a trap 
because they were told like and... they were told Maguire is going to be vulnerable on the ball yeah. and probably De Gea. Yeah, and also uh, by the way, I will Maguire say like, not, I haven't even he, seen he, him. Maguire he's not, he's not that bad at all. But it's confidence. It's confidence. one thing that he's supposed to be okay at is good on the ball. Yeah, but but like there wasn't a huge amount of evidence of it in that. His thing, he does. He's not a quick turner. Right. So, but he should have had the wherewithal and ability to swivel on the ball. It's also like at that it, level. You're talking I, the top level I of the also game. Like you're not that, being harsh. Yet. I also think that, like, so De Gea had a part to play in each of the goals, mm. right? Like one all three, very all significant three. part yeah. in in one of them particularly. But um, which I, would imply that his confidence was kind of shot a bit after the first. Well, I think that almost from like Ten, Ten Hag's point of view, right? like it's nearly good for him that. That sort of stuff happened to De Gea last night or happened to Aguirre because, you know, we should be talking this morning about United's major shortcomings. Well, we, and you'll talk about a couple of instances, but, like, jeez, looking at that game last night as a United fan, you must be hugely concerned. Um, like, the progress that had been made previously, none of this is new stuff, right? I think holy. that when you talk about what, where United's issues are, you talk about they need a new goalkeeper, they need a new centre-back, they need a playmaker with some experience and a bit of an attitude in the centre of the pitch and they need an attacker yeah like, I was trying to, like, it's not new news uh, concerning is a good word definitely and you said to me I was like you know like this is an unbelievable result like 3-0 and Adrian said to me is this not a bit of a trend obviously the instant reaction for me was like what are you talking about but then I was thinking yeah quite possibly so the problem for, I think for Manchester United this season is that they peaked on the 26th of February mm. the Carabao Cup final mm. Very comfortable victory over Newcastle, but really good. They need a, that, that triangle of Casemiro in front and behind him, Varane and Martinez. And I was like, wow, this is the strongest Manchester United's core has been since probably the last great Alex Ferguson side in 2008-9. Really, really strong core of the team. And I was like, the, the future's bright. They actually won the next few games afterwards, but then the Liverpool and the Deer happened, and Anfield 7-0. Newcastle away a few weeks ago, Luke Shaw came out, and his body language was the first real concern for me. Not the 7-0 at Anfield. Luke Shaw saying, oh, we just didn't uh, show up. The attitude was off. I don't know what happened. And uh, we need to be better. And that's exactly what was said numerous, numerous times in the last decade since Alex Ferguson left. He's just I, sorry. He's just showing me a still. Dara has very helpfully there. dropped the still into yeah. our teams group here. Yeah. And the pass back to De Gea was not enough. Okay, pass back was that. But the point is yeah, that, that. Yeah, I've seen it loads of times. I was going, Colin, what are you talking I've about? I've seen it times. I've, I've seen sympathy from Maguire, Maguire collecting the ball in that situation, actually, because, you know, one mistake and you're in massive you, you, trouble. You just flip yeah. and you go back up the pitch, and right? It, That's what most footballers do. But at the same time, like, when I say there's a bit of, like, blame to go out, there's a bit of blame for De Gea because I would say he knows who he's passing it to. This guy's not a player that's full of confidence. I would be thinking, like... Not the, uh, not, not I, Maguire, I, I, I the Hayes vision, Maguire is free. Like, we have this aerial view of everything that's happening. I know, so but it's Hayes not like... It's not, like he, he knows he's not free. passing the ball to Rio Ferdinand, I, right? I, I he knows he's in front of into this, like, I, I have to say, as a goalkeeper, you're aware of the players that are around you at any given mm. time. People choose to play passes at any given moment based on what they think at that time is the best option. You often see players refusing to pass this player over here because they've obviously made up their mind that that's not the best thing for the team. They're no, no, no. And so I, and I, I, Maguire, Maguire's that. free, so in De Gea's head, Maguire's but, free, and then the right back is also free. So Juan Basaka is the next option. So in De Gea's head, he's playing a triangle to get out. That, that, it's eight minutes, that, eight minutes still there the doesn't, doesn't quite feature the other... Um, no, he's coming in from the right-hand side. The thing about Maguire is 
it's like in life if you have any confidence issues in terms of something that's happening the slightest slightest delay in your thought process mm. there he's in massive trouble because the press is so at the top level now the press is so high and so aggressive that like you just can't make a mistake and Maguire's just still prone to that because yeah, I think totally. he, you know and I would have some I, I don't think he should really be and again I'm looking at it still I don't think he should really be passing the ball in that area it's 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 you in some ways there's still a slightly deceptive in that the the shape of three doesn't become fully clear to until, me until he gets ball, yeah. mm. Un- until do you think passes. do you think that the hair shouldn't have passed that ball to anyone well, you see, you, you have three players high up the pitch initially, so that means that there are only that there are eight players to the rest of the pitch. So Man United probably have an edge elsewhere up the pitch. Yeah, but your split second point. But, and, and, but this, and, and, this and, is so, the thing so about pa- takes, passing up, yeah, and pa- passing the ball out from the back. There's such a risk versus reward. Ireland did it for a good few games under Stephen Kenny and basically stopped doing it then from Pizzuno because it's like it's not worth your while if you lose the ball in the situation. If you break the press, then you might be in a good situation. But you have to have unbelievable players to score from effectively your own goal line. The, the Maguire, I mean? the, and if you lose the ball, you're screwed. The Maguire confidence issue, I think, is, is definitely prevalent. Like, mm. it, it's so easy to cast this guy aside as being a complete donkey, like in a waste of space, and he's one of the worst players that's ever represented Manchester United. He's had an awful time of it since he signed. It's not even four years since he joined the I club. I feel terrible. And, and there's, the, there's, me, there's a best bits collated of his mistakes, and I agree with you. I, I feel really sorry for him because Maguire earned that big money move to Manchester United. It wasn't like he was a no-hoper who won the lottery. No, no. Like, he was really, really good for Hull and Leicester. Like, it's easy to forget. Know, and for I England. When they, when they got to the, they got to the, Hold on. They got to the Euros final, England. And he was very the good England in stuff, defense, I, right? I, I, Buried I his penalty in the shootout. The England One of the best stuff, penalties I've ever seen. The England stuff, I find a bit of a misnomer, I have to say. Because he raises his game. Like, of all the countries to be talking about this, we've had players over the years who were average enough at club level and always raised their game to an unbelievable level when they came play, play for Ireland and that's the case with Maguire but the, the insinuation is he could go on to, he needs to get out of Man United that's my point getting everybody has agreed on that John, but, the, but there's this insinuation the one. there's this he's insinuation that confidence. if he goes to another club that he's suddenly going to be the player that he plays for England and I'm not 100% no, not sure that, that that's going to be just needs, he needs to reset like and I, literally any other club will help him do that do, do, and he may never be the same player as he was sad thing as well is like we might see the incident of the jockey who lost the race last night and in terms of the social media reaction yeah. like if Harry Maguire had a really bad injury in his next game and retired he's tainted for the rest of his life now yeah. by not only the yeah. abuse he got but like he can't even go into a restaurant without thinking somebody's going to look at me that's your it's man it's terrible it is it's really yeah. sad and as much as he's making a lot of money that's actually a hard cross to bear for and, him. and also Johnny his body language doesn't help him because mm. he has a yeah. there's a sympathetic vibe mm. to him and like he, he hunches his shoulders he doesn't carry himself as tall as he actually is and there he kind of wears the mistake in his face yeah. but a fine defender on his day and we were talking about this last week, Adrian, like Dave McIntyre pointed out in commentary that the last 10 starts that Maguire had for United, they won the game. Mm. They had five clean sheets in a row in his last mm. five. So again, he's not even had a dreadful season. It's not mm. as, nowhere near as bad as it was last season. But I feel bad for him. But the overall point, sorry, the, the Luke Shaw interview after Newcastle concerned me because he was like, oh, this is kind of the culture of the club. And Christian Eriksen spoke with BT Sport last night. Now, Eriksen wasn't fit to play and United really missed Bruno Fernandes in midfield last night as well as Fernando Martinez at the back. Fernandes was a big loss. I don't know what the omission story with Fred is that I don't know why Fred suddenly isn't playing that much I know maybe he's not fit enough but that was a strange decision because with Fernandez out there with a bit of physicality yeah you still like, don't play yeah, Fred because yeah. Sabitzer is a bitty player like he's he's decent but I don't know if he's the answer and if United didn't sign him permanently well, in the twice. summer 
yeah, he's a goal-scoring midfielder, but they're playing him in the Fred role. Mm. And even then, when he's a goal-scoring midfielder, he doesn't massively contribute to the overall play. So if United didn't sign him permanently in the summer, that wouldn't be uh, a bad thing. So Ericsson talked to BT Sport last night. was kind of like, um, oh, we just didn't play well tonight. And it was kind of very political, the answer. And the, the question to him was like, was the attitude off? Did you not try? And he was like, oh, no, I wouldn't say that. But there was no emotion. You know, it was like, mm. oh, no, of course, we tried very hard, but we, we just weren't very good today. And it reminded me of the dying days of the Arsene Wenger era at Arsenal when they had poor result after poor result. And I remember Theo Walcott coming out on Monday night game. Setters Park, poor defeat away to Crystal Palace. They lost three 0 and he was just like, "Oh look, we'll go again. We'll go. We'll go to the next game, and uh, and we'll try. You know, hopefully we'll uh, be able to convert our chances. And uh, there's no problem. You know, we'll get better. And I've heard United players say that so often in the last decade. And I'd say Eric Ten Hag is realizing that there's a far larger cultural reboot required here than I initially. Do you know thought. the next three league the first games? Three of the season was actually very positive outside of the first two games. The next three league games, like they've Brighton, obviously. Um, that was uh, the game that, uh, yeah, Dan, our erstwhile friend, had booked to go to see Evan Ferguson, yeah. and of uh. course, but but maybe then because their next three league games are Spurs away, mm. Villa at home, and then Brighton away, followed by West Ham away. There's a there's actually a very realistic chance that they might wobble in that top four battle now. There, none, that, none, that would none, be that none would of be those games are are uh, easy games for United, and certainly on the basis of last night. You know, you'd, argue, you'd argue that there's no real easy game for United at the moment because they've returns to inconsistency and you don't know what you're going to get with it but at the other t- look if, if you want to look at the overall season like United are a point better off already it's good this season in the Premier League uh, hold on they're a point better off already this season than they were in the whole of last season and that's eight games to uh, look go at that, that and they have, they have a trophy 59 points and 30 is good when you have teams like uh, Man City in the league it's actually good they've won the League Cup and are, they're, they're on the uh, cusp of getting to another final this weekend they're probably going to finish top four. If they finish top so four, it's it's good, good, from good where they've come from, it's good season. The Ballon Johnny, like they've pocketed it with disastrous results. So there's mm. last night, Newcastle away Anfield. a couple of weeks ago, Anfield, the first two games of the season, Brighton and Brentford, and they're almost the standout moments of the season, mm. even though it's overall been a very positive campaign. Brian says, Cullum, it was a pressing trap. De Gea has to have the awareness of that. I, don't, I really, you, you I, don't, I really like that don't think... No, that's, I, that's questioning your football... Uh, no, 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 no. I would, uh, I'm surprised that uh, so many people are criticising De Gea for a very simple pass to a free man uh, Bohemian29 says whose tea is made with Cullum's tears this morning it's uh, a Brayburn good morning to you Bohemian um, <laughs> Brian's wondering uh, if Shane's going into hiding are United still having a better season than Arsenal uh, Shane's gone off the Crucible he's gone off to the Crucible yeah yeah um, he, he's a very rounded man Shane like he's interested in a lot of different kind of peripheral sports isn't he um, um, peripheral sports, exactly. We have uh, <laughs> we have a Monaghan message football from Vinnie Perth, who's listening to the show. Yeah, can I read it out? Of course you can. Sure, it's your show. Yes, Vinny can. Can I read this out, Vinny? Um, <laughs> Get in touch right now. Uh, Maguire, when he played for Leicester, played maybe ten yards deeper. So most things are in front of him. He would have had to play a certain style if he moved to get back to his best. Uh, love your defending of him. I'm actually only reading this as I go, like so. I didn't edit this before. And love your defending of him. He's an excellent player. Now you you actually would not disagree that he's a poor player or anything. Like that. You think he's an okay player, do you, Maguire? Hundred percent. And you? you you can't have had the career that he's had without being an okay player. Yeah. But there are a series of factors at the minute that means he just needs to get out of there. I'm sure. Like, uh, do, do you know what I believe is the reality? And who am I to question what Vinnie Perth has to say? But uh, we don't actually know how good Harry Maguire 2023 is. Mm. 
or how good or how bad. Yeah, it is. that's true. Yeah, but there's such a big narrative around them, isn't there? And a big cloud that you, also you lost almost by can't three judge goals, them objectively. Like, they lost by three goals. Holy, totally. two and goals actually, that, sorry, that's the thing. As like, as I was committing about this yesterday that we kind of have this obsession of honing in on one point in the game, like the handball, and this is like one point in the game where De Gea passes the ball to Maguire and was it the right thing to do? But the agents already said like the more concerning aspect is the overall display from Manchester United, who were insipid. Trent Alexander Arnold has made unbelievable mistakes all season, like uh, in possession, out of possession. Uh, and peppered with some amazing play as well and um, it doesn't get focused on as much every Maguire mistake just seems to be pounced on he's, he's an easy thing to target as well I do feel sorry for him in that regard um, uh, Fountains Town Forlan says lads get Johnny on the quiz today even he's better than Adrian um, which is, which is an awful insult to you Johnny it, 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 well it's an awful insult to you and I'm not even sure no, no, I am actually better than you and I don't know how bad you are but I'm brutal. probably worse yeah. I have another, another comment here from uh, Stephen Gormley fan of the show uh, Maguire's body shape for receiving the ball was totally wrong yeah William yeah. Doyle says De Gea often gives that pass to Martinez like this and there isn't a problem uh, and Brian says how could, he back pa- how could he pass it back to De Gea the back pass was blocked which I think in hindsight now you have to accept was the case no I think I have no problem with De Gea's choice to pass it out to Maguire but there, there was no, there was only, out of the four possible options, only one was open. He was open. For, when they when when had the ball, Maguire was totally open. Slipped the ball into the, to Maguire. I would uh, absolutely acknowledge that De Gea's pass could have been crisper, but Maguire should have dealt with that pass. You're talking, that you're, sorry to repeat it, but it's the very highest level of the game. Like. Bit of blame for everybody to go around Cullum. Totally. That'd be, that'd be but uh, I don't understand why or how everyone jumped on De Gea. Yeah. There we go. I don't, I, I, yeah, okay. Um, there are an awful lot of comments coming in about this, and uh, people are exercised by it, mm. and, and we might have to come back to it. How they respond now in the league will be compelling because they, they're in a great position for the top four, they, but they could blow it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They I really mean, on the evidence last it. night, who knows what happens. You're watching, uh, it's gone 10 to 8. You're watching OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shaver, your money back. Neon Night edition is available now. Here's what's coming up on the show for you this morning. Uh, it's Johnny and myself right through until 10 o'clock. We'll have Ronan Agara in just a couple of moments' time from La Rochelle. Uh, some reflections on last weekend and looking ahead as well to the uh, latter stages of the Heineken Cup and plenty more. If you have more uh, questions, comments for Raj, do get them into us. Ned Manua uh, will be with us after 8 o'clock and we'll be having plenty more. Manchester United where plenty more blame to go around Nedham I think it'll be one of the things, uh, main things we'll be talking to him about and obviously uh, what an exciting run of games ahead for Man City as well which we will touch on uh, GEA writer uh, Morris Brosnan will be with us at half past eight another interesting weekend of Gaelic football Anna Capeless at ten to nine on uh, Ireland v England this weekend we'll have a Friday fire pit for you at ten past nine so if you've any t- what are we discussing on the fire pit we'd like to give people a bit of a nod on this yeah well we didn't uh, get into the Arsenal video that went viral there during the week with the young fan and the players we'll oh, talk yeah. about that and then kind of the overall online abuse that seems so prevalent and increasingly so in sport and in society I suppose as a whole uh, yesterday, uh, myself, Johnny and Shane uh, posited the position that is the League of Ireland cool? And then that can lend itself into thinking, um, who for you, cool sports people? Who do you admire? Um, who do you like the, the cut of the jib of? Or, and the opposite, who do you not admire? Mm, so a few I'm things there. And, uh, and the rest then is to your own uh, creativity, uh, improvisational skills, and just enjoy it. Now, uh, Johnny, uh, Jack Byrne, is he going to go? Yeah, it looks like Rovers have decided that, um, short of getting a fortune for him, that they would, could do with Jack for um, their bid to get back to the probably the Conference League group stages realistically. And 
initially the offer from Charlotte, they increased it a lot. I think there was, I don't know, a ballpark figure of, I'm bandied about, of about half a million. Um, the way Jack is playing for Shamrock Rovers this season, his stats are off the charts. And sometimes, it's, as much as it's he's a playmaker, sometimes it's not even that obvious how off the charts his stats are relative to everyone else in the league. Um now, Rovers have so many ball players. I think Vinny said yesterday they'd still win the league by 10 points. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. But in Europe, and also Jack's quality at set pieces is so good. Like, he's, so, he's world-class delivery at set pieces, 100%. I think Shamrock Rovers, Adrian, you were sort of saying that, I think you'd pop at them, that he can, they can qualify and he can sit on the bench. And I actually met a Shamrock Rovers fan in Kilbegan who said that the last time he met Dan was in Malda. And I was like, well, that was the night you basically threw in the towel. And Shamrock Rovers sort of did. They put out a second-string team. But the thing for Rovers is to get to the group, because that's where the money is, mm-hmm. and take it from there. I think this year... That's where the money is, and then they don't go after the results. I think this year, in, uh, in fairness to Rovers, I kind of see what they were doing at the time, because realistically, they wanted to win the league to get back to that level this this season and take it from there and be better, I think, if they get to the group stage, which is still a big if. But Jack Byrne is massive for them, and I'd be very disappointed if he... The League of Ireland is cool, partly because we see people like Jack Byrne. For him, it must have been very, very, very tempting. Jack would love living in America, I'd say, living, playing at that level. Um, but Rovers seem to have held out, and that's pretty cool. Um, we'll have much more chat on that. Um, and Colin, thanks a million for coming in. You'll be back to us later on. It's been a real pleasure, Eddie, your, your no, um, reluctance to talk to us there. To through, engage through the, through the, the toys out of the proverbial. Didn't he? Didn't he? See, the show wouldn't be on the road. Like, you know, you gotta, you gotta, someone has to keep it going. And speaking of... Ronald Agara, good morning to you. Adrian, morning. How are you keeping? How's the form? Good, good, yeah. Um, bright morning, sunshine over here, so can't complain. And um, ready to go, top fourteen again tomorrow. So the, um, getting good now, getting exciting. The string of cup finals that you often talk about is um, going pretty well for you. Another win at the weekend. Yeah, it was great because we changed the team. Twelve players different from the team that started against Saracens. So um, I think. Um, you find out a lot about people during those times when they're not playing and they can potentially get grumpy, but there was no boy Falcon. There was uh, good energy out of the guys that weren't talking out for the Saracens game, so we trained well that week. And then those guys got a shot of it against Bea. We were average, but it's easy to be average because, or to understand why we were average because um, we lacked probably cohesion and harmony in trying to execute plays, but um, nothing... Um, wrong with their attitude so it was um, a beneficial 80 minutes for us I think you said in the paper last week that you'd watch uh, you would watch Exeter if Jess didn't have any plans for you and you were hoping that you might have to, you might get away from it that was a pretty big um, defeat from them did you watch it live did you get a chance to watch it back or what was the uh... <laughs> <laughs> nah, it was great it was uh, actually her dad's 8th birthday so she went home with four kids I stayed with the eldest boy so we had a magnificent weekend. <laughs> Sports Central. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no fighting for the control. Yeah. No one who's going to take the dog for a walk. No one who's going to get the bread from the boulangerie. <laughs> no nagging. Sunday free nagging. Fantastic. That is the one beautiful thing about living in France. Just the the the, 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 the habitual nature of just let, let's call it the boulangerie for bread. It sounds simple, but you're living the high life, Ronan. Oh, 
even better. And it's good now because it's just, you know, you get that kind of salivating feeling in, in your mouth at this hour of the morning when you know that the mixed grill is coming back that night. So you have the French bread. You superset that with the uh, sausages and the bacon, the black and white pudding and the eggs from... Uh, it was Cork Airport this time, actually. Cork Bordeaux is up and running. So normally it's Dublin Airport. But uh, if you can get the um, full Irish with the French bread, it's a winner. You're like Richard Cooper and that old lad. It's three o'clock in the morning, but it's breakfast time back home. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Probably too young to remember that run. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I don't remember that. Do you remember that, Adrian? I do. I do, indeed. It was yeah. Richard Cooper before he's... I didn't know that bit, exactly actually. Much, yeah. um, now, we've segued sort of nicely away from the question. What Did you watch Exeter? <laughs> uh, I did. They had a record defeat, yeah, in yeah. in Leicester, obviously, and then obviously the fallout from Molly Woodburn's dismissal. And um, obviously Jack Noel and a few of his teammates had a rant on Twitter and up before the disciplinary, so an eventful week, but... Um, it's all ended well, I think, from their point of view. Obviously, a bit of a financial fine, but uh, common sense has seen and no uh, top players missing semi-final games. With a game like that, and it, because the scoreline gets so far away, is there a point where you just turn it off from a trying to analyse the point of view, or how do you look at it that way? Yeah, yeah, but they were a different team anyway, and um, Leicester had momentum, and it was one of those games where it has no consequences. No, there would be that tape won't be revisited again, you know, there's plenty of other um, interesting images that need to be looked at before we uh, tackle them. Um, I watched a little bit of the highlights of your own game and I watched a bit of the highlights of the Toulouse match as well during the week and um, like obviously with an eye to the semi-finals, Toulouse just like they can, look like they can sort of win um, any which way you want, like they go, was it 14 points to to nil yeah. down after 10 minutes um, nearly 21 as well nearly 21 Leon had a very good opportunity and they bring uh, the, yeah go on sorry yeah. that's that's where they're better than any other team you know they like when it gets messy they like when it gets disorganised they create scenarios to be able to replicate that in in games uh, throughout the week and that's where they're very very dangerous and that's where DuPont is on a a different um Wavelength and the fact that he he played the game last against the ten. Yeah. And um, how was he in ten next? Look easy. Um, his tactical kicking probably is off the top ten, but everything else is good. That little break for the try, like that, it looked nearly looked like a twelve in some ways. Yeah, well, that's his physique would be not dissimilar to a lot of twelve. He's a little pocket rocket. And um, he can carry hard in the 12. He's very fast. He's explosive. He's smart. He's, You know, I think you look at the game and he's like one of those sports people that just stands out no matter what sport it is. If you look at, obviously, tennis is probably a bad example because there's a few of them, but in rugby, there's probably John Alomo, Dan Carter, there'll be DuPont. They're the guys that that mark the game in the biggest way. Could could he um, open up an avenue in terms of the sport going forward for, a, or is he just a total one-off where players are that bit more versatile in terms of where they can play? Yeah, there's been a little bit of murmurs about this, but I think um, he 
he is incredibly good. And I don't think you can kind of model anything on him because he's such a freak. You know, these things have been a hybrid player or Swiss Army knife and have a huge versatility and a great option for the bench. But the thing about um, Anton Dubois, if you go through it probably um, coldly and accurately, there's a reason you could start him at 10, 12, 13, 14, 11 or 15 on his own merit. Uh, But he just gets more ball at nine and has more impact at nine and he's a petit general and he can run the show at nine. So he's, that's where he plays. And it's like, I have my ball and you have your own ball, but my ball is going to do a lot more damage than your ball. <laughs> what sort of character is he? Uh, he seems very humble. I don't really know him. I know his friends with Gary Galdred. Uh, there was a lot of that generation. Jelange, I think, Bougarit. Uh, Aldred, Dupont, the second nine, I think, all from they're all from the same area in Oche, actually where Paul O'Connell got married. Um, in in near Toulouse, they all grew up there and they played underage rugby together. But um, you mean I think underage he was good, but I think when he moved from cast, obviously there's nothing to do with moving from cast and the timing with that. But when he probably early 20s he just um, became a phenomenon Are we any closer to answer the question about what to do with him Ronan in terms of um, uh, from a Leinster point of view I suppose particularly No it's just not anyone it's, it's anyone who, who comes up against him that's uh, bizarrely when there's structured play you potentially feel you can keep an eye on him okay and then where he becomes nearly unplayable is uh, breaking balls, should we say, using a GA term, when a rugby ball falls on the ground and there's a little bit of chaos, uh, a bounce pass or forward doesn't hold the ball, it dribbles on the ground, it squirts out of a rock and you're left with a one-on-one, all of a sudden he's gone up the pitch, bang, off his right foot, fend, gone. So do you do you try to play more of a possession game then? Like, because obviously, like I'm just thinking from the frame of reference of when Ireland played France, that wasn't really the case. A lot of kicking in the game. Do you do you try to ensure like that? Essentially, Dupont has as little as the ball of of the ball as possible. Um, that's a simplistic way of looking at him because he could also maybe touch it three times and set up two tries yeah. or one. You know, so yeah, possession is important, but then you don't really want to be playing too much in your own half against um, a team because of obviously the interpretation around the rock if, you, if you're in the three points on it's half a try and it's a very soft half a try if you're giving it up and the kicker like Ramos just pops it over the post so then if you kick Lucy to them they're deadly so you're trying to keep uh, as much control of where you give them the ball um, to move on the conversation I wanted to ask you about the Jack Nienabar stuff I don't know um, how much attention you paid to it but your thoughts on it um, yeah it was obviously uh, I wasn't expecting any announcement on um, Lens the coaches so it was obviously um, an element of surprise um, and then um, it's um, when you think about it it seems um a very shrewd move, sharp move. Um, a coach with a lot of hunger, and um, 
you know, I mean, Leinster obviously do their homework and they only go for uh, the best in the world. So I suppose we just have to wait and see how it works out. Um, there's obviously maybe implications in the fact that Andrew Goodman, I don't know where he is. Is he moving on or is he, because he's incredibly highly spoken of in New Zealand left I coached him in the Crusaders and a uh, brilliant coach and uh, I'm not too sure has Razor's coaching team been announced but um, I would be um, pretty well sorry I'm sure he's in uh, negotiations for, for being on that ticket Jeez that'd be a big uh, loss For, 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 for Leinster. Leinster Yeah yeah, well, of course, but then I suppose they've never blocked a guy's ambition. If you're from New Zealand and you want to coach your country, um, they've they've always kind of backed the individual to do that. And then he's a young coach; he could easily come again, you know. So maybe uh, Goody wants to stay in, uh, in Leinster, and he's extremely happy. I'm sure he is. He's player, he was there as a player. He's there as a coach, and uh, he's guys uh, the players want to play from. Um, but um, yeah, but the show always goes on. Everyone is replaceable, you know. That's the that's the beauty of of, of sport. But good people are hard to replace. Mm. Some uh, some ticket if he stays there. Uh, it's the the um, style of rugby that Nina Barr has obviously co- been coached or been involved in coaching. Whether it's Munster, South Africa, and then on to Leinster's like the Leinster's is pretty big mix of styles there is it just a case that he comes in you adopt the style of the head coach that's there or how does that you know in terms of him putting a stamp on it or even from your own experience of working for different coaches with different styles you often talk about the cattle and he himself has mentioned about the um, you you assess the quality of players that are at the group that you come into um, pretty good cattle at Leinster but in terms of the style that he brings into it what what's your thought yeah, around how well, that fits in Exactly. The, the the key point is you assess what you have to work with, and then you make decisions on what's being presented on the on the training paddock. So um, he most definitely has the has the cattle to play whatever he wants. You know, there's different scenarios in your career as a coach that you're faced with certain restrictions or non-restrictions, and you adapt. Otherwise, um, I think you make an error, and it's very very important as a coach that you. Uh, analyze what you have and where you want to get then can you get to it with this group of players because it's for me that's what coaching is you cannot have the same game plan depending on uh, who you have so to make a I suppose a simple comparison and fellas like Winnie Antonio will Skelton Batia we play a different game that I'd be playing if I was coaching without those three right assess what you have and adapt and get the best out of them keep doing what they're good at and trying to get more scenarios in a match that they're able to show what they're really good at Mm. Um, plenty of questions coming in here if you're on I'll uh, put a couple of them to you um so we were talking a little bit at the top of the show about Manchester United and um, Harry Maguire particularly. I don't know if you've been... Um, no, know. yeah, big Man United fan in this house, yeah. Yeah, so, we, so you were watching it. game against Seville last night. Yeah. Wow. 
What did you... So, so the question here, I'll give Edward Freeman, um, ask Roger if he's ever been co- a coach of a side that just threw in the towel in a game like United last night, and what would your response be? Um, I just have to be so careful in terms of generalising or throwing in the towel, you know. Mm. I think that has so many different definitions mm. for so many people. Um, and I would probably find it hard to um, agree that a team is thrown in the towel I need Is it a confidence collapse rolling in like? Uh, for me that's a completely different topic mm. and I have a perfect example of that and popped into my head watching that game last night with a certain player that I'm coaching in the same situation like Harry Maguire and it's completely all confidence and that is exactly a perfect example of when your mind wants to do it and your body can't do it and you've been just eaten away and the simple task becomes so difficult because you're devoid of all your automatic instincts and auto decision-making capacity that I can remember even as a player myself when I kick in front of the post it just looks so small and then there was other moments in your career thanks to confidence that the post looks 50 metres apart. And how do you rate your ability to turn that player around? It's a great question. Um, depending on um, everyone's I suppose background and curve and learning curve and capacity to rebound is very different. So have we had this um, fall um, as a couple, shall we say, a couple, uh, coach and player, and what did we do the last time to get ourselves out of this hole? Is it a new experience um, between us and we haven't worked our way out of it? Are the player and coach in unison on what they feel the issue is or are we at loggerheads if we're at loggerheads it will never work because there has to be an acceptance of the position and if we're not united on the position then uh, we can never get where we need to get and that is where the ruthless side of professional school uh, uh, sport comes in um, do I change my system for one player or can my player get up to speed into this system? It works for 14 others, but I can see a really upside to this guy um, if he gets it. So um, the definition of insanity is expecting to do the same, sorry, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So that is always at the forefront of my head when I'm coaching and the fact where uh, repeated um, errors are breakdown in visualising, performing the, the task um, means that there is not an understanding. If you understand something, you can get better at it. If you put into a position and you don't understand your for the next that's for different through communication, talking about it, or going through the image, or going through 
uh, shall we say, world-class solutions of that image done by different players. So hopefully a combination of three, you get to where you But uh, as I the, the most important thing is um, accepting that we're not where we are as a couple and that we need to uh, hopefully have the tools to deal with better in the future. Does, does, does any of this apply to Joy Carberry or is it something completely different? If Joy Carberry r- rings you this morning what, about what should I do in terms of my future, I'm 27, it's not really working out at the moment, what do I do? Um, well, I've been on the spot there, I haven't thought about that one. Um, but I haven't monitored his games closely. I'm, mm. I'm not too sure what his form in games like and what his little detail is because I think what... He has to really remember is that he's done it, so it's there. He's not looking for a level that he hasn't got to. Mm. He needs to get back to that, but how can he get that? And it's probably more simple than you think, and it happened a lot quicker than other people think. But uh, it's his capacity to repeat that consistently. And it's been blighted because of injury. It's been blighted probably because he feels he's not getting as many minutes as he needs. But... That's why it's always, I think, reassuring for players who have tasted at the top level. You're not asking them to do something they haven't done before, which usually they get on board with you straight away and they go, OK, coach, I'm, I'm up for this. Yeah, it's, it feels like Carberry needs game, like wants to get back in the pitch and needs game time. And the more you look at Maguire, it feels like he needs to be almost removed from that. Mm-hmm. And and nine out of ten people in that position, when they're given it, they're trying to do too much mm. because they're trying to make up for lost time in their heads and they're trying to put people wrong while um, like the the Dan Carter policy was do the simple things well over and over again repeat them at speed, do the simple well over and over again. Then the easy situation where you can glide through will pop up but if you force it, you look like a bit of a turkey on your backside. This is the thing as well. Like you've, this is just the three pages in front of me. Three pages in front of me. Back page Maguire. Back page Maguire looking full of angst. Back page Maguire and the hay and Maguire. And it's like, was this all Maguire's fault? Like, and that's the that's yeah, it can't. That's just way too easy. You can't do that. You and that's know? what they do because he's an easy target and it notionally sells papers. And we've been talking about Maguire and it's just like. Yeah, it's all it's all Maguire, 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 and it's it's really really hard for him to wake up this morning, even though it clearly wasn't all his fault. Oh, yeah, it's horrendous. There's no yeah. about it. Always examples of that where uh, a guy gets absolutely lamped. You know, it's horrendous. Yeah. Uh, good luck against Clermont tomorrow. Thanks, million. Cheers, lads. Good to chat. Thank Thanks you. Have a good weekend. You too. Ronald Agar on the line there, and uh, look at it. It's, it's there's a. Study in the Harry Maguire stuff, and uh, I would absolutely say that I and we have been as guilty as anybody at times when we're talking about Harry Maguire. But like, I definitely have felt over recent months that uh, my main emotion towards him is just sympathy. That like, and I'm sure he doesn't want that either. But mm. it's um, but just David an awful is frequently on because David knows him and yeah. like, treat treat whatever whatever about you know. Oh, he's on so much money. Treats an individual with respect, whether you're on social media or anything else, mm. because it's not easy to be in that position. And even you have the back page of the Herald where. Chris Forrester was talking about I was in a bad mental state Chris Forrester was yeah. one of these players again whose career could have completely derailed yeah. and like what, what Ronan was talking about there the challenge he's facing you need people around you to respect the individual and to be on a human level um, helpful to that person 
long before he or she can get back onto the pitch and play well yeah. and just say I want to get you back into a happy place in life and then the rest will follow and I think that's happened with Chris Forsell and as a coach you're not really they can bring you to all the B licence A licence yada 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 nobody can really coach that and I guess you either have it or you don't um, I would suspect Ronan may have that um, even though he well, might, be, he might be too humble to admit it in spades 17 minutes past 8 you're watching OTBM we're delighted to have your company this morning it's myself and Johnny with you until 10 uh, OTBM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition is available now after the break we're going to be chatting more football with Ned Manua first of all our own Cameron Hill has been in conversation with yet another La Rochelle personality Ulton Delan about life at the club you can catch the full chat over on the OTB Podcast Network and across our social channels and is he getting properly engaged in the training sessions? I've seen images of him, you know, kicking the ball around and he's talked about it on this show before. But is he right involved with um, the actual physical aspect or does he take a step back? Uh, what do you mean? Is it, would he be ball carried and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Is he running into contact with no. land, for instance? <laughs> he might... Uh, <laughs> I think it was... Um, I'm trying to think. It was, uh, I think it was the day before it comes around. So we did a walkthrough in the morning and he just got glimpses of his career, I think. <laughs> and he was getting the ball and doing a little, little sidestep and carry as if he was uh, the opposite 10. And lads got lads good enjoyment out of that. But, uh, but no, he's, I mean, he's a coach. Obviously, you do miss, uh, you do miss your, your good days and stuff. And uh, he's, he still has it though in some ways. So, uh, <laughs> Are you just saying that now because you think he's going to be watching? He's going to hear this. He's going to be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> nah. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. 20 past 8, OTB AM, and it's myself and Johnny with you until 10. Delighted to say we're going to continue our football conversation now. Nedim Anua, former Manchester City player, joins us on the line. Morning, Nedim. Good morning, how are you? I was planning uh, to talk to kick off the chat about Manchester City and uh, interesting times there, of course, but I think on the basis of last night, there's only one place to go. Uh, what's your um, overall assessment of where Manchester United are at right now? I think it's tough to say. I think a game like yesterday against Seville was particularly bad, but they've not had too many of those. Um, <clears throat> they've not had too many of those games in the grand scheme of things this season. It feels like they are progressing forward. But then when you see that they've got a few players injured and alike, then you know it's not going to be the best version of United, but you just don't expect them to crumble the way that they did, especially with mistakes coming from their key players. But this is essentially European football in Seville. For as much as they've done nothing in the Liga this year, you hear their record in their home stadium. And like from this point, they're expected to almost go and win the whole competition. But I don't know. It, it's tough. Obviously, some people have been scapegoated, like, like I heard earlier on the show, and that doesn't necessarily seem right. But yeah. they've got a game in two days' time against the side in Brighton, who are very good. But that could be a huge win for United because they get themselves into another final. So it's not all doom and gloom. I think uh, Ten Hag is very much like that when they played against Liverpool and lost so badly. It's just all about the next game, learning from the little mistakes that they've made and understanding that they can't make those again. But it was tough because I thought they were going to win, especially given the fact they were so dominant in that first leg. But again, this is two-legged European competition. The side that plays at home in any quarter or semi always has a great chance. Nedimit, you're kind of touching on a point there, which this I I definitely felt this with um, Ten Hag early in the season when, um, was it the... Was it the Brentford game where they lost? They lost. They lost their first two games. They were appallingly bad and whatever. And then they went on a run. It's it, the carousel of football games now and then must be so so difficult to deal with. Where you play in the Premier League, then you go to Seville in a massive pressure game, and then as you say, two days from now they're in. It's just never never ending. So you, you, it's statistically almost impossible not to have off days like they're having now with what isn't a massive squad. 
Yeah, that that is that is true. And the squad isn't massive, but you still would have expected a slightly better performance yesterday. But I think what's key, I think at this time of the year, because they're looking at Man City and other sides who play playing every three days. I think when you have a bad day, you can really focus quickly. If this was a Saturday to Saturday, there's a lot of time to stew on stew about it. Time for the media to continually ask about it. But when he does his next press next press conference, they might talk about Seville, but the bigger topic is still the next game. And I think he's very good at sort of instilling that in his players and giving them a chance to go and redeem themselves and understand that the next task is going to be different. I think you could hear that basically from the interviews with Ericsson and the like after the game. You know, they acknowledge what came before, but it's about moving on essentially. And the bad games do happen. And I think for United and some of these other sides, I think what's key is that you look at the performances. Some of the results might be particular, might be bad, good or whatever, but you can see which way they're trending. And I think to a certain extent yesterday, they seem to be trending in the wrong direction, but... You now see the importance of someone like Bruno Fernandes, who's a very divisive player. Because I think if he plays yesterday, the game probably goes a different way. So it's great to have him back, I imagine, going into the game against Brighton, where they'll need that little bit of extra quality and leadership and sort of just to manage those bigger moments. So I think, I genuinely think United will be fine. I don't think that game yesterday is indicative of how they're going to be between now and the end of the season. But again, we'll have to see, won't we? Your um, former teammate was on Irish TV last night in Virgin Media, Richard Dunn, and he was talking about, uh, the, he was very critical of um, the performance and of the team and of the direction they're going. He spoke, the thing that jumped out for me specifically about the attitude of players, and he name-checked in that regard, De Gea, Shaw, Martial, Sancho, and he said they're more, they have more players at the minute, Manchester United, who look int- uninterested uh, than those who do, which feels to be a step above almost what you're saying in terms of how deep-rooted yeah. the issues are. Yeah. Do you know what? You could say that, but then with some of those players, they've done really well for them so far to this point. I think there was a point when United were nowhere near anything in particular. Then they went on the run that they went on. Obviously, it was on the back of Rashford scoring as many goals as he did. But Luke Shaw, again, was having a fantastic time in terms of how he was playing. And I don't know, maybe to a certain extent, some of them are tired. Maybe they just couldn't handle that moment because I, I, I from what I gather, going to play in Seville in a knockout competition, especially the Europa League, is a tough place to be. But I think Tony, you know, he's perfectly entitled to his opinion and he can go very strong because I'm sure he's picturing what it'd be like to be playing with those people in that hostile environment. But I think Ten Hag knows those players. And if he continues to pick them, then he must have some level of trust in them because as we saw with somebody who was there at the start of the season, if he doesn't think you're doing the right job, and that is Cristiano Ronaldo, before you know it, you sit on the bench and after that you leave the football club. So I think he does trust those guys. He trusts those leaders and knows that moments like yesterday they're an exception as opposed to something which he believes is, will happen on a week-to-week basis. That that piece that we're sort of talking about in terms of the players who are like invested in the outcome or, or interested or trying, I suppose, you definitely couldn't label that one Harry Maguire. I don't think anybody, the most um, critical uh, people of Harry Maguire would never say that he's not, uh, he's not interested or he's not trying. But equally, what's your, how does this play out for him now over the next couple of months and beyond? I think it's tough because it feels like a lot of people hate him. And it's not just one or two, probably more so than, say, a United player that I can picture in my in my lifetime. And maybe that's just recency bias. So as a consequence, when they see his name on a team sheet, they're not comfortable. If he does something good, they say nothing. But the moment he does something bad, they speak very loudly. So as a consequence, it feels like he's making a lot of mistakes within the game. And that one yesterday, obviously, he's he's involved in that first goal. But... It's not as if he had a terrible game throughout the rest of it, but still he's the face that will be on the back pages, as you've mentioned. So I think it's a tough spot for him to be in where he knows everybody's going to be looking at him and expecting him to do to do bad. And if he does nothing, then nothing gets said. But the fact is, I believe they probably want him out, as in United fans and other people looking at Man United. And they know that, like, even though he's the captain, 
he doesn't feel like the captain. It feels like the type of person which people expect Ten Hag to get rid of. They want to see a Varane and a Martinez playing in there. Maybe they want to bring in someone else as backup to that. And it feels like his time's coming to an end. And it's a shame the way that it is doing because overall, you know, he's, he has done well for them. But I think when people don't like you all of a sudden, there's a real sort of sense of focus on any mistakes that he makes. And when they lead to goals, which is the nature of defending and goalkeeping, you know, people can be extra critical. And it's a shame because I, I don't think he's going to help them get better. But then in the same breath, right now, they definitely need him. He's like still probably got another four or five years potentially at the top level if he wants it. Like he's still a relatively young player. People often talk at him about that, his capacity to up his game from an, an England perspective. What in terms of the future for him now? Like you'd have to assume that he's probably going to leave Manchester United. That would look like um, the best thing for everybody at this stage. What do you? Th- what's your view on the final chapter? Albeit sort of four or five, maybe in six years at that level uh, for Harry Maguire. Where, what can he do? What can he achieve? Do you know? I think that's a good question because we don't know. Say if he was to leave this summer, he doesn't just leave and go wherever he wants. He goes where he's wanted. And you don't necessarily know the needs of some of those teams. Like he will probably believe he can still be in the top four, top six and so on. But there's a big focus amongst that group of getting younger players in as well. So I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case. But I think he's, wherever he goes, he's going to be someone who's going to be seen as one of the leaders, uh, you know, really solid Premier League centre-back. And it's almost the rebuilding process. But the shame for him is that if he does get better over the next couple of years, he's very unlikely to get moved back to a team that's sort of trying to be as progressive as Man United are. So I think he just needs to go and find somewhere where he can feel comfortable, be supported, um, you know, by the team, by the club, by the fans and so on. But unfortunately, I think he's got such a stain on his name that wherever he's going to be linked, there'll be a group of fans from that team who probably won't be as excited to say maybe they could be by bringing in a full England international. And it's a shame, but this is the way football goes. So I think he's got to find the right environment, as I say, with the people around him who really trust him and, they, you know, they defend him as well. Because when it comes down to this situation at United, because some of the mistakes are so clear no one can really defend him mm. so it means that other people just attack and pile on and, and he's just got to sit there and I've heard you know maybe you read some of the tweets and stuff that gets put out towards him and I bet you know playing for a club like Man United that's not just one or two people tweeting you that goes by the thousand so um yeah I hope he gets a chance to go and play somewhere to settle down to not overthink things and just get back to being the player that he was which made Man United want to buy him for all that money all those all those years ago it's hard to imagine the impact that it must be having on him and, and his family. Have, did you ever go through a period like that, Adam, of like that lack of confidence where you're just, no matter what you're doing week in, week out, you're just feeling as if you're in that bit of a rut? Yeah, you, I think everyone goes through it. And it ultimately, I think it's different though because the clubs that I was playing for, not Man City as such, because this was before the takeover happened, but say when I was at QPR, you don't have as many eyes on you. Whereas I think for Harry, wherever he goes, he knows that the eyes will be upon him, whether he's playing for England or playing a game for United, whether it's playing away at Seville or, you know, playing in a training ground match, everyone will be talking about everything that he's doing. And that level of scrutiny is something that sort of makes it worse for some people who are at the very, very top. So, you know, you do feel for that and you try and play your way through it. But the downside, I think, for Harry, which I think he potentially gets wrong from my opinion, is that he still wants to try and commit to do the same things, which showed how good a player is. And there was a spell where he would get on the ball and he would drive forward and he would make the right passes. But... Because people read those movements a bit more now when you do them before you know it, you're being punished because people almost expect it, like as was the case yesterday with the three-man press that led to that first goal. Because he wants to show character and courage to get on the ball and play it and be the leader for the team instead of just booming it long, you know, in a more sort of like conservative manner. But when things are going well for you, all of a sudden that can cost the side. And then you're left, as you see, with his face after the goal went in thinking, well, 
flipping out. What? Well, what now? Yeah. We're going over. Be good. We're going over all ground here. But what did you make of the goal? Actually, yeah. <clears throat> so the, it's always dealer's choice. Yeah. So De Gea has the ball at his feet. He's got the best view of the whole field. You can see Harry Maguire's there, and Harry's asking for the ball. But De Gea can also see that the three players who are around him. And I think if De Gea is going to give him the ball, I think he probably needs to ask for it back in that moment because he can see how he's being pressed. And as a defender, you're very good at receiving the ball, but not very good at receiving the ball with people behind you. Because ultimately, you know, you're usually the first line in terms of how an attack starts. So most defenders will be uncomfortable in that spot. And it's fair enough that he's asked to try and receive it and show that personality. I'm sure he's done it a thousand times over in training, but you're playing away from home. And I'd say it wasn't just one person pressing. It was like two or three Seville players that were right there. So I think De Gea has to manage that moment better. He has to pick the right pass. And the right pass might not necessarily have been to, you know, go long, but ask for it back from Maguire. But then instead, you know, he plays it to him. And then that happens. And before you know it, the game's in a place where that's the, the uphill nature of that task just becomes that little bit steeper because they got 40, 50,000 fans screaming and they energizing that Seville side. So I would like to have seen... De Gea managed that situation better. Not to say Harry Maguire can't take it there, but I think the two of them could have combined better to sort of put the ball at less of a risk. That's the um, best explanation I, so far, I think, and I haven't even seen the incident. I'm going to ask you this because we've had a long debate at the start of the show with our producer about whether the pass back to the goalkeeper was on or not. I think it would have been on if De Gea did a play and move. That's the thing. At the end of the day, if you're going to give someone the ball, you have to give them the option afterwards. Uh, yeah. It's the same reason why when a centre-back gets the ball and plays it to the goalie, they don't just run straight back to them. They tend to sprint to the sideline to give another angle so you can break the press as such. So without having looking back at it, without having a chance to look back at it again, I think if you're going to give somebody the ball on the edge of your box as the goalkeeper, you have to give them an option. Otherwise, it's not the right pass to make. And you can say it was blocked off, but... It doesn't need if it's if it's blocked off after you've played it to him. Then how did you get it to him in the first place? So the, I'm the, a bit cynical the, from that I, standpoint. I, I'm, yeah. I'm like a dog with a bone with this one, right? But he so he passed him the ball, and then the the severe so the three that came to close them off in that press, one of them had gone between De Gea and uh, Maguire. So the pass back had uh, essentially the only route out was to do an about turn and point back up the pitch. So which one? So let's think of the three then. So there was the one who intercepted it on his left. Yeah. There was the guy who scored on the right and there was somebody in front of that as well. Correct, yeah. Okay, so, so after De Gea plays it to him, De Gea, do you not think he could have made, moved maybe five yards to the right-hand exactly. side? That's, that, as Johnny yeah. said, that was the best explanation I heard of it, the, the, the pass and then make a move, which he didn't do. Has, yeah, that's yeah. the thing you have to do. But then even like, just to be re- just to really nitpick, and it's obviously easy to do when I'm sitting in my house eating a takeaway, you know, <laughs> watching European football, but even the ball from De Gea to him, it could have been a cleaner ball. It could have been like because it bobbled into him a couple of times. That, that like this, it's little details. Yeah. And the the frustrating thing for me is that both players are very capable of dealing with that situation in a better way, and probably have done a thousand times over. So to do it in this moment, like they weren't let down essentially by the younger players. They were let down by some of the most experienced players in a moment, which you'd expect them to be able to manage, given the fact that it was only two years ago they were in the final as well. So they know how to do it away from home there, but still game was short this time. I'm sure this is all grist in the mill for uh, Manchester City fans as well, of course. I wonder um, what the takeaway was, actually. <laughs> what, what was the, the takeaway? Take away, good question. Mm, uh, the takeaway, it was actually something simple yesterday, just a Nando's. Just a Nando's. Nice. Keep it, keep <sighs> Cheeky it calm, Nando's. Yeah, oh. Cheeky Nando's on a Thursday <laughs> night watching United. Happy days. Hard to think. <laughs> um, the, the City run of games is amazing now, and I'm sure that every game that uh, comes up at the minute, the way they're playing, the amount of goals they're scoring is a uh, mouth-watering prospect. But the prospect of this Madrid doubleheader header 
next month. Uh, next uh, next month is um, is one for everybody to uh, be excited about. I think. Yeah, I, I think so. And don't get me wrong, you know, there'll be a lot of people who will be heavily rooting for Real Madrid because they're anti-City, but then lots of people who root for Real Madrid because they are the kings of European football. And it's the one team who you don't really want to have to come across, whether it's in the group stages, knockouts or the final. Yet still City have drawn them again, you know, only 12 months on from the last time they had it. And there's a level of heartbreak among City fans because, you know, for a whole game at home and everything was 88, 89 minutes in the Bernabeu, they were going through. They were in the best position. But then the Kings of Europe did exactly what they do. You know, I remember in that game at the Bernabeu last year in the second leg, there was a banner that was up before the game, which literally said another magical night for the Kings of Europe. Imagine how much confidence you need to have in your team to put that up before a game. But they do it because it's like 13 times they'd won it at that point. I think it's 14 now. But I think what's different this year is the sort of added nuance of Man City being at home in the second leg. I think we've seen over the last couple of days that... You know, barring, um, say, Chelsea, I think it was, a lot of the teams, oh, not to be fair, Napoli as well, but the teams that have that second leg at home have a really good chance. If As long as they don't blow that first leg, they've got a good chance. And given the way that Real Madrid, obviously, are very, very good in Europe, they do have their flaws. City obviously have flaws as well. And if it comes down to something which is essentially going to be like a shootout, a high-scoring game, you know, Man City are capable of that. You know, gone are the days where you're worried if they're going to score a goal in a game. And it's not to say it's, a, it's like the most obvious thing and a guarantee ever, but they create so many chances. And with someone who scored 48 goals so far this season, if as long as he stays fit, you get the feeling he's going to have an opportunity and he tends to take quite a few of them. So I like it. I think it's a great Champions League tie. I think the same on the other side with the sort of Milan derby as well. And it's 62 exciting semifinals. And I would argue the second leg, City versus Real Madrid, is the biggest game that's ever been played at that stadium. And I think a lot of people are going to be desperate to be there to see it because it could be such a huge moment because how much confidence do you gain when you beat Real Madrid, the kings of Europe? If you can do that, then you can arrive in a final and believe that you can go all the way. You know, the same way some people like to play the best all the way through. Alison, I prefer not to. Mm. But if you can be the team that knocks out the people they expect to win it in front of your home fans, the feeling around that sort of array, that stadium and that football club, It'll be massive, and I think that will help them see that will help see them through to the end of the season, which whichever objectives they have before it's all done. They they need to do it as well, don't they? Because as you mentioned, like the 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 Real team, it's it's not a vintage Real team. Like they're reliant on a set of very good but aging attacking players. In some instances, you can get at them defensively, and as you say, and the fact that they like City are probably a little bit, probably quite a bit better at home for some reason. Um, and with that crowd, as you mentioned, they just they they really should just get the job done here. There are no excuses in my view. Yeah, that's a, it's a strong way to say it, yeah. But and the thing is, I'd buy into it, except it's Real Madrid. And that's the annoying <laughs> thing, because as we look back at last year... And Ancelotti. Yeah, Real Madrid scraped through against uh, Paris Saint-Germain. They scraped through against Chelsea. They kind of scraped through against City. And then in the final, their goalkeeper's the man of the match. Mm. Like, we could have written them off at every one of those points, because you watch the games and you know that in the flow of it, they were struggling. Yet still, they found a way to win it. And that's sort of part of their DNA as such. Even like when they played Liverpool at Anfield, they were 2-0 down. And I thought I got sucked in. I was at the stadium. I thought, oh, it's going to be a massacre to Liverpool. And then somehow it's like 5-2 without them really having to really overexert themselves to a certain extent. 2-0 down. 2-0 down, 1-5-2. Something... Where have we heard that before? There we go. Oh, gosh, yeah. But within that, there's just something about them. And it's not to make excuses for City because this is me making excuses for everyone when they play against them. They have this sort of allure about them in this competition. And I think for, within their club, 
the Champions League is more important than the domestic league. That's how they measure themselves, which shows how they are the kings of it all. So I think City will get it done, but it's going to be tough when you're playing against someone who's currently the Ballon d'Or and two wingers in, say, Rodrigo and Vinicius Jr., who are set up to hit you on the break. And when the quality is coming from the likes of Valverde, Modric and so on, they might give up some level of control within the game, but they know they've always got a threat. But the good thing is it works both ways, as was the case when Bayern played City in a couple of days ago. Bayern, if they ever overcommitted, before you know it, there's a long ball to Haaland, a head down, De Bruyne plays someone in, bang, there's a goal being scored. I think this tie has so many goals in it, and that's why I'm really excited to watch game. it. This thing about the Burnham yeah. game, like, Real can't overcommit here, because, like, they're just not good enough to deal with Haaland if they if they leave space, in my view. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, yeah. I, I want to ask you one, I want to ask you one about Arsenal, and we're running out of time, Adam, I want to ask you one about Arsenal on Wednesday night, and um, your view of how all that will play out, um, like they, there's a lot of focus obviously on that game and potentially a title decider equally when you see some of the um, results that have, Arsenal have had recently they could end up winning that game and still lose the title Yeah, it, things, have, things certainly have changed and this game it has so much gravity to it but more so in terms of seeing who's going to be at the top versus who's going to be chasing but the fact is the race is still on I think it was getting to a point when the gap was five the gap was eight that you know, that could be the final nail in the coffin for the title race as such. But instead, it's added that level of nuance because Arsenal have ended up dropping those points. And it's, and, you know, and they're dropping points at Anfield. You can kind of accept that. But it's the ones away at West Ham, given how much in control of the game they were. But I think, again, it's a fantastic game of football. I think they'll probably, Arsenal will probably smash Southampton today. I think it is. And then heading into that game, who who knows? I think it's going to be a fantastic tie. And, you know, unfortunately for them, they're going to one of the toughest grounds to get points at this whole season. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be very exciting. Yeah, so much to be excited about. Dennis Ryan uh, says, Nedham's a top-class contributor. OTB, some outfit for sourcing. Great guests. Well done and keep the comments. So, a good note to leave it on. Take that. Thanks, Mel. Yeah, that's me and Nando's fan, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, <Lad. laughs> on the line. Pretty, uh, pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. I... Um, I mean, I, this is ridiculous. I actually I haven't I haven't seen the goal, but I think that's a brilliant footballer's appraisal of. It's a lot more than Maguire receiving the ball. It's like the body language of the goalkeeper to here. And if, if there's a trap, you need to offer him an out straight away. Um, Colin was kind of I don't know. You obviously gesticulating can't, that, he was, that that he was right. Was proving his point. Yeah, but I was like, Colin, not, absolutely not. I no. mean, I mean, Colin, Colin is he's probably a minute away from walking back in to just get. I, I would love him again. to come back in to uh, um, dissect. Not happen. Dissect. But the point that I didn't consider before: give the pass, crisp pass, which he was saying it wasn't and then make a movement, which is absolutely right. Gave the pass, and he stood still, at which point the, the Seville player had come in between him and, and Maguire, and there was no pass back. So the pass itself wasn't played at the right pace, like essentially. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, then you're creating, uh, when you have a high press, that's a massive problem, because that, that draws you back, and you all of a sudden, you've lost an option straight away because you're committing to the ball. Again, I haven't seen the goal. But um, yeah, I, I think Colin was wrong, whatever he said. <laughs> you might say that, Johnny, you might say that. <laughs> It is uh, 20 to 8. There's loads of comments coming into us about a whole manner of different things and uh, we will get to those for you. We have a Friday fire pit still to come. We have Anna Capeless still to come uh, to look ahead to the Ireland-England game this weekend and plenty more as well besides. So do keep those comments coming into us. Before all of that, delighted to say we're joined on the line by the examiner's uh, GA writer, Morris Brosman. Good morning to you, Morris. Morning, lads. How are you keeping? How are you keeping? Can you hear us? I have you now, yeah. I have Good you. Man. You're a United fan, if somebody, uh, somebody told me. Is that right? Uh, Adrian, I am just... Uh Head in the clouds with GA coverage this weekend. I haven't needed <laughs> to watch the game last well, night. Well, I tell you what, we've, we've a spare 20 minutes here if you want to pick through. <laughs> um, 
tell us there's obviously so much to, to look forward to um, around the country the weekend what's the game that you're uh, you're most looking forward to um, I'd say like, from this weekend I'd say Kevin Armagh I think could be a cracker I, think, I really think that could be a, a blockbuster game going back to 2019 they met went to a replay in 2019 two brilliant games there's probably you know in this brave new world we're entering there's probably more on the line in that game than some other games so if you go back to last weekend for example right, you could have made the case that Tyrone didn't seem too disheartened by losing to Monaghan for Mana, even though they were, were technically in with a chance of making a Sam Maguire they're on the dog side of the draw that it was a really tough outcome for the, to get there whereas materially Cavan have a really good chance of making a Sam Maguire they need to make an Ulster final to make that happen Armagh's record in Ulster is awful like for 15 years now mm. I think they've won 7 games in Ulster and they've lost 14 drawn 2 um, that's including their win this year obviously they've never made an Ulster final every other team in Ulster has made an Ulster final in the last 15 years so there's, I think there's a huge amount on the line there which the new buzzword in the last couple of weeks has been jeopardy there feels like there's a, there's a good bit of jeopardy around that game Kevin remind me of my own county in an awful lot of ways in that you never know even much I've been paying a fair bit of attention to Division 3 and you just never know from one week to the next at one point they looked like they were going to run away with it and then they got snaffed a little bit towards the end um, so you have that obviously a very good side on their day of course and you had Maliki Rourke saying during the week that he expects them to give Armagh a scare but ultimately Armagh to get over the line is that the way you see it? Potentially yeah the one thing about Kevin compared to I think sometimes we find it hard to adjudicate on how athletically developed are certain teams. But then when you look at Cavan and the way they speak about Andre Quinn, they've got a full-time strength conditioning coach there, a guy with a rugby background. And there is definitely, you see elements of that. You see you know, players who were wiped by down in an under-21 game a couple of years ago come back and play down again in a Division 3 game this year. And the athletic development, they were dwarfing guys. Like There's something that's happened in the last couple of years that there's been a huge acceleration there. And I think that's critical in a game like this. Like, can you match up with Kier Mackin and Jerry Oakburns and Ben Creeley and all these incredible athletes that Armagh have around the middle territory? So Kevin are a, a, a tricky matchup for Armagh. In saying that, I, I think Armagh probably have better players, but that hasn't got it done for them over the last couple of years. So I, I do think this is a, a crucial game for Armagh. I wouldn't buy into the idea at all that uh, they might have an eye on trying to, to like a bond stretch. Ulster now, it has to be all about Ulster for Armagh and uh Based on that, I'd, I'd slightly shade it towards them, but I wouldn't be one bit surprised if this is, is a one-point game or even a draw. Do you, do you think it's all about Ulster for them, or is it like get back to Crow Park and you know go one better from last year? Like, what's Geezer's mentality here? Yeah, Johnny, but to, but to what end though? Like, are, mm. if you if you take your eye off this, I, the psychological damage of that I think is 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 criminal. Like, I mm. really think it was, and particularly you have to take this in the context of coming off the back of what was a pretty poor league. Um, now. Anytime you've spoken to Armagh coaches, they're fairly adamant that they didn't change their style, that it was down to execution and if a couple of things had clicked. Um, I have to say, I, I don't see evidence of that. Um, watching with my eye, they, they were dropping off kickouts completely against Kerry up in Tralee this year. They didn't do that when they played Kerry last year. Um, they were playing with maybe one up top a lot of the times. They weren't doing that last year. Reno Neal was out around the middle. He spent a lot more time up top mm. last year. So from, from what I could see, that's not true. But um, I did. it started to click towards the end of the league. I thought they... The best signs of their performance was actually the final game against Tyrone. They looked pretty good that day. For take it what you want against Antrim. I don't know how much you can read into that mm-hmm. game, but they, you know, they looked pretty good there. I think psychologically, a, a loss in Cavan and you know the wagon start to circle and all that sort of thing. I I do genuinely believe it's a it's a huge game for them. Last one on that. The the biggest frustration probably, and you're touching on it there from an Armagh point of view, is that sort of uh, failure to take the shackles off or whatever we want to wear. Lack of attack in football. The inability to get ahead of the defensive wave almost, which I think against Antrim seemed to be 
they seem to go for it a little bit more. I don't know if that's with no disrespect to them, but because they're playing Antrim, do you expect a little bit of a revert to type this weekend, or what will the Armagh pro- approach be? Oh, geez, you'd hope so. Um, yeah, you'd hope so. Just because I, I would make for this game could be as entertaining as Tyrone Monaghan last week. I know that's a big shout, but just go back to how good that 2019 game was when Darren McGreedy got mad of the match. It was a, it was a genuine thriller. Um, I have to say, the, maybe it's hard to read into the entry game. I know that. But even if you go back to their final league game, when they were playing to try and stay up that day, they did kick the ball more. Um, so there's elements of that. You know, you go back to last weekend, or against, sorry, two weekends ago against Antrim, and you had Adrian Forker getting sidelines and lobbing just, you know, floating. It was kind of a, an agricultural ball into the, the square, which broke kindly. Nedley ended a goal chance. Kieran Mackin did it as well. Um, just floating one off his, his, the outside of his right foot. So based off that, you would like to see kind of front foot football and uh, fingers crossed we get a, a big game to match it. Forget forget about Ulster and might forget about Leinster as well. well what did you make of like look just look at the Galway? The hang Galway. on, hang on, hang on. Let's get, let's let's let's, now. let's uh, the uh, Jim McGinnis Derby. We're we need to touch on before we do that uh, on Sunday. What's going to happen? Uh, a very similar game. I, I think the for all the the two teams were on kind of very different trajectories. Like for all down were down and out last year. There was disharmony around management. There was all this talk about. It was this time last year, I don't know if you remember, lads, with all this talk about the training camp that, that Donegal um, went on, started to, or that down went on, sorry, that started to come out. And then you flip it a year later and suddenly that Donegal have lost their manager, down of a, a new manager in their upward trajectory. There's a lot of hype around the way their 20s are playing. Even more interesting that they seem to be prioritising the Tilted uh, Senior. Um, I think from, from all that, there's two teams that are totally different directory. And you go back to that idea, it's kind of an immaterial thing, it's hard to put your finger on, but the, that idea of momentum, of a vibe, of a kind of the goodwill that's been generated, that seems to be all there for down. It doesn't seem to be there for Donegal. So I would uh, I would shade it towards down. Plus the fact that they have um they have a man in there who seems to know his, his own county pretty well, which has to be an advantage. Mm. Yeah, to, well then on to comment before we move on to um obviously the I don't even know if we're gonna talk l- about Leinster. Looking at league, that might be it might be the, the third province at the moment. The Galway attack rights, Tierney, Heaney, Cook, Burke, Comer, Walsh, right? Um but I, I do want to get you on the goalkeeping situation because we spoke about like giving players confidence and all that and this one probably was a tough one to be fair he's gone for power over um, you know I, I think Conor Gleeson does get a lot of slack and Conor Gleeson is probably thinking well I've done enough to be picked here he isn't though yeah um, like yeah, Johnny yeah, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there and I think you, you kind of have to be conscious of that particularly if you're you're in the county here like the um, there's two sides to this right there's the I, I think Conor Gleeson gets totally unfair slack I don't think this is a a black and white decision that one is massively better than the other. There's a lot of sort of stuff that Conor Gleeson does that I don't think he gets enough credit for. Mm. It was pointed out to me recently that during the league he was actually kicking kickouts with his left and right foot. Wow. So it's really hard to, if you can get a press on a guy like that who's, who's, who's kicking dual footed. That's pretty. It's a really hard thing to do. You know, you can't read a guy's body position and then it's a lot harder to get a press on. And then you've got situations where, like you've got situations where Galway are in, in a league final, a team who got to an Ireland final last year, kind of champions. There should be a lot of goodwill around the team and. Their social media accounts have to turn off comments because of the abuse that a, a, a guy's getting over selection. I think it's, it's totally wrong. So you're kind of hesitant to wade into that. But just purely in a, in a football sense, I think there's absolutely a case for, for Bernie Power to play. Like he was brilliant against uh, Kerry. I think it, it, it's a nice, in many ways, it's a nice decision to make. I think this reminds some people to get kind of a bad flashback to 2019 where Galway kept flicking between their goalkeepers and frequently would name one and then start a different one, which seemed to add more pressure. 
and uh, it didn't always work out as well. Whereas I think this is a totally different scenario. I think this is two good goalkeepers. It's a nice choice to have. Uh, Gleason got an absolutely boomer of a long kick out. I think Bernie Power, particularly against Kerry, was really good with those kind of short clipped ones. So it's interesting, yeah. It's very interesting that uh, they went with with Power, but I don't think it's I don't think the the certain elements of discourse I think are very unfair around this, and you're kind of reluctant to get into that. So purely from a from a football sense, I can see the the logic and going for Power. I, I like the fact though that um and Morris would have seen like I would have seen Conor Gleeson back playing for Galway United, but on the Galway thing, I like the fact that Galway are just very much warned of what to expect from Ross Common here from the league game in Pierce Stadium and also the the game in Castle Bar, obviously where. I, I just think all we have the forwards to basically just overcome whatever scenario they're in here. Yeah, and I think that league game in... Uh, I remember I covered that league game in uh, Pierce Stadium and it was uh, by a distance the worst game I've covered this year. Mm. It was just a, a, an absolutely dreadful game. And I, that was the, it was the angriest I've ever seen Joyce afterwards about the, the manner. He kind of... He'd been asked a couple of times during that, the league. Remember the end of the Mayo game when the, they failed to control mm. the possession there and the, it was a draw. And similar thing, they were up and didn't score for the last 20 minutes. And he kind of seeded there, right? We, there's something here that we need to fix, like the way we're closing out games. Um, and I think since that, from that point on, Galway's trajectory has been kind of upwards. So that was, I think that was a crucial league game. A couple of things within that game, which I think we'll see again this weekend. I mentioned this last time I was on the show that, um, Connor, uh, Connor Carroll, who's, he's from Galway. He's an old more married man. Uh, he played for Joyce under Galway under 20s before he transferred to, uh, Roscommon. His, he's got family in Roscommon. His uncle is the chairperson of Roscommon, but he, uh, he went 100% long with his kickouts against Galway that day. I think they won't get as much joy out of that because Galway will be well warned about that. Um, since that Roscommon game, John Maher has been an uh, unbelievable find in midfield for Galway. He'd be a nice foil there. Um, the matchups in this game are still pretty good. I think like the, the two teams, Fit each other well, but yeah, I, I think there's no there's no chance of um, a similar kind of uprising or heist or whatever you want to call it, where Roscommon comes floating under the radar. Galway know exactly what they're we're going to get this weekend. They won't get as much joy out of it, or they'll have a different tactic in terms of the Roscommon kickout. No, I, I uh, by my every soundings that I've seen, I, I don't think they're they change up. I think they yeah. they trust in what they're doing. That they they fully. That's the one thing about David Burke's team, like they're fully, I think they have huge conviction in what they're trying to do. They know exactly, totally. they're all on the, the one page. And uh, Even against like, perfectly. even against a big Galway midfield, Shane Curran was talking a good bit about it on the show yesterday. You, no, you just, you just say, that's it, this is our style, and on we go. I think so, yeah. No, the only, the only thing in that is if Galway do, when Galway played Kerry, they started off that game, they were you know, flat to the match, two teams that seemed to suit each other really nicely. And then about 15 minutes in, Galway just decided, have it, and gave it up to Kerry Short and said, you can try and, we're so, I think Galway are one of the best teams in the country out of possession. Like they are, they're, they're set the best really defence in the league, like. They're, and especially the way they're, they're to free up John Daly. A lot of teams would, should look to that, Johnny, to see how they're managed to cre- create that plus one, trying to keep their, whatever you want to call their sweeper uh, free so he can, he can do that job. But, um, so, so to go back to that point, you could just drop off, give it to their full back line and say, you need to work that ball through every single line of us. And then in the face of that, I think it would be 99% of teams would do that. They would tap it to the cornerback. I think it would be very interesting to see Woodrow's common still say, let's put it out on the middle. We might not win it, but we're not going to lose either and just make it a, a dogfight out there. That would be one course to the thing if Galway decides to, to opt for that, which they've done a couple of times in the past. And some teams are, I think that's becoming a, that tactic is coming back in again. Um, I watched it back Longford and Offaly recently. Offaly totally conceded their kick out. Like just said, you can have a short. 
So Longford ended up 100% on their own kickout, but they couldn't. They weren't able to work the ball forward. They scored two points off their own kickout that day. So if you can't work through every single line of defence, you're trying to run that ball every single time. It's a very different thing to do. So that's that's if that happens, Galloway would do that. Then it would be interesting to see how Roscommon respond. But under the premise that they go mano on mano and a big press, I wouldn't expect Roscommon to change. When you're uh, watching back replays of Longford Offaly, Morris, you know you're in too deep. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I first came across Morris doing articles for the Go United match program. He's actually gone up a level of like erudite nature in sports since like. For <laughs> well, I actually mischaracterised him at the start and yeah. say he was a GA writer, which is totally <laughs> underplaying his brief. Senior sports writer. Um, to who is, you sounded like you were press ganged into agreeing with Johnny earlier on about Galway winning this one. They're four to nine favourites. Like they're Galway are heavy favourites here. Regardless well, everybody legend. agrees with you, including Shane Curran yesterday. What do you think, Morris? Yeah, I think they. I think they're just the fibre favourites. Uh, to be honest, do you go back to the? So I know they, they lost the league game, but you go back to the, the kind of final last year, it was similar weather you'd hope to see in Imperial Stadium and Galway Carrefour Open. And the two key players for Galway that day were Homer and Walsh. It was the first time they, I think it was one of the very few times in their career that they both played well in the same day. They didn't you know, play at all in the league game. Like Homer came off after 10 minutes, Walsh wasn't playing. That, that was the day he did his knee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, he, uh, Six minutes in, he, he collapsed in the square. And But even, you know, you go back over the last couple of years, Johnny, Like it's, there's a kind of a quirk of it that one of them plays well or the other plays well but mm. the, the All-Ireland final is a perfect example again mm. like Shane mm. Walsh was as a letter they probably didn't happen for a Comer the semi-final was the opposite mm. you, could, you could argue um, but that day against Rathcommon they were both brilliant Comer speaking of long kickouts Comer was out around midfield uh, he, that was the one where he, they started doing that Conor Gleeson boomer out where he was kind of punching the ball on um, I wouldn't be surprised to see that back this weekend So, but the fact that the two of them are back in the field they're both training it sounds like everything from the soundings got been well won you see a lot of teams now doing these Training kind of scholar out in Portugal. They were up in Dublin last weekend. The teams are all kind of opting for that. So mm. I think they've been well warned. They're well prepped. Uh, I, I'd be eating that way. But I think this could be tight as well. Yeah. A whole lot of players that are worth the entry fee alone to go in and see that one. That's the hide on. Well, Sunday as long as Roscommon don't like decide to like murder the ball in position for three and a half minutes without going anywhere. Like, so oh, well, it's over I to you, Davey. You're not going to get away with that against Galway. It might work in Castle it won't, Bar, it won't be, unfortunately. It won't be unique if they, if they, you'll see plenty of that around. But funny, no, after the game, after the game, the Toronto Monaghan game, like, I think the public won't really allow for that sort of stuff. I think it's every game you see, it's an absolute curse. It's, it mm. makes you want to. Disappear for ten minutes. Well, come well, back well, you, you do say like this is uh, off point. But do you do like do you bring in like a, a time limit here on how much you can actually have the ball in one movement? Because, a shot clock. Yeah, shot clock. You can't have like three minutes of possession going nowhere. Um, now the game is evolving, but like you want games like last Sunday, not the previous Sunday. Let's be honest, regardless of what the weather is. Um, I'm going to. Um, say that we'll come back to the shot lock at a certain point down the track Morris because I want to ask you about Kerry Tip uh, before we let you away and the team obviously Kerry team named last night and of the 14 available from the starting 15 that won the All-Ireland last year 12 start and the other two are just coming back from injury obviously a mixed bag in the league but this is an incredible statement of intent now from Kerry Yeah because going home speaking of training camps another team who took this break well went away um, seemed to be smoked very nicely uh, I think Adrian you know that a lot of teams, you apply a, an unfair bar certain to, to All-Ireland winners. Like Immediately they win in Ireland and the next thing is, okay, now where is their improvement? Where is the, the level they need to get to? And I don't think, now you could say on paper there's a lot of good squads and you know, Dublin, I recall, a lot of uh, very talented players. But have you seen any evidence from the league so far that a team has it in them to go beyond what Kerry got to last year? So is the bar for Kerry not just to get to the same level of quality they got to last year and they'll probably win in Ireland again? I, I think that's, a, that's an argument there. I also think they, they did their best to unearth one or two players and just for bad luck or injury or whatever, it didn't work out. You know, they tried to 
I think there was a lot of hype around Stefan Ockenbar and they really pushed to get him back in the team. He was playing midfield. He was excellent at times during the league. And then uh, just cruelly did his hamstring again and uh, required surgery. And that's just, that's a real setback. Um, Donald Sullivan's another guy actually would really struggle with hamstring injuries. I think Fon Fitzgerald had to reteach him his running mechanics, like mm. basically reteach him how to, to run. He was dogged by injuries. Like this is a guy in, in 2017, Kerry played Clare in a Munster semi-final, I think. Clare scored three points and played that day. Kerry back to my 24 points. And uh, David Clifford was, was playing that day, but the talk leaving after that game was about O'Sullivan, who was in beside him. I think he scored 2-8. Um, so he's been a lot of hype around him since then. He finally started to we see that this year. He's on the bench. I wouldn't be one surprised to see him get more championship minutes. But by and large, yeah, it's the same same bulk of what they had last year. And uh, I think what what harm, you know, when you've, as, as, I, as I say, I don't see a team who's gone taking a huge step forward that carry okay, now that's suddenly that's the level they need to reach. So until that happens, I think they're, they're in a pretty good place. It should have been Dublin with the players that they have from the semi-final last year, but it just hasn't really happened yet. Yeah. And that's, that's in this we'll, program. We'll talk about Leinster football when it gets interesting, <laughs> which is once the uh, Leinster Championship is over. Um, Morris, senior sports writer for the Irish Examiner. <laughs> Thanks a million for jumping on. Enjoyed that. Thanks, Les. I tell you, the Galway United match program has been some sort of platform. Oh, really? People. That's how I started. Of the sixteen-year-old, two of the greats. If you have a good English, t- <laughs> insert eyes emoji here. But uh, yeah, match programs who are, which are under extreme peril as well might be on the way out. Really? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. It used to be like a quarter of the attendance would buy one. Now it's more like a tenth. How much are they? Actually, like the Galway United one last season was a fiver. That was the last one. It's too one much. Too much uh, how and, much is uh, the ticket? Um, tickets like 15 but now some other programs but the cost of print is really shouldn't be the program shouldn't be a third of the, of the ticket price no they shouldn't no um, but it, this is the start I know, I know what you're saying it's I, like I saw old programs I saw uh, programs from the Roscommon Galway games in 98 yeah. that I wasn't even at because um, I was away that summer uh, in my house in Galway last week so somebody possibly me decided that we're going to hold on to this programs because this could be a, a big year that's like 1998 and I still have them that doesn't matter if it's like something that's on your phone or it's on like so to have that hard copies all these years later is amazing and the own cows did a piece from the week League of Ireland match programmes are probably on the way out and that's sad um, David Shang says get uh, Anua on again very good clear analysis and Adrian Long looking forward to the weekend Munster Sharks Galway Roscommon Clare Tip a great weekend ahead and Galway's, uh, Galway always heavy favourites against Roscommon points out Brian Lavin so plenty of interest in that for the weekend ahead <laughs> Time to uh, turn our attention back uh, to the rugby now. Anna Capeless, good morning to you. Well, how are things? How are you keeping? Good now, good. Here, here uh, we are um, again. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a big come down after the snooker last night, but look, here we are this morning again. Are you a snooker fan, are you? Well, we'd have this snooker on here a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You should have outed yourself on this a lot earlier, when, particularly when Shane Hannah was in the studio, because... You know, you'd be uh, you'd be preaching to the choir there. Less so with me, anyway. I think anyone who's still in snooker, like you can judge him or her very favourably in terms of character because they haven't been taken over by a terrible attention span in the mobile phone era, where you can actually watch a snooker mm. match. Um, and obviously, yeah, we have another one. <laughs> I very much enjoy it. I used to watch it when I was younger. Like we'd always have it on here. My aunt used to watch it a lot. So. Uh, yeah, just and you know when you get to know the names and stuff like that. So, but a few big names out of the first rounds of the of the tournament so far. So, who uh, wins? Have to learn some new names. Who do you think Pardon? wins? I've no idea. The rocket. <laughs> mm. I've no idea. I just I just uh, recognize the names. I don't even. I need to. I need to learn a bit more. 
I learn a bit more and you can ask me. You can exactly. Ask me then, um, Chen is in the next time. We'll be, he'll be back next week. We'll, uh, we'll get into Nerging it. out in the snooker. Love it. Somewhat much more calming. We've delay, uh, delayed the inevitable. Uh, we can delay the inevitable no longer here, Anna. Uh, where do you want to jump in? Oh, I don't know. I think it's been like a tough week. It's funny because, um, you know, this is the first tournament where they've gone a block of two games, a weekend off and a block of three games. So this is the first, you know, change that usually this would have been a weekend off. So I don't know how that might have affected things in terms of like preparation for the team. Is it just kind of prolonging the build up? Because this has been a, a a rocky build up, like lots of speculation about, you know, record scores and 100 points. And um, the players are obviously just trying to focus on themselves um, it's a, and you know, when you see the, the teams come out and, you know, everyone's reacting to like, wow, England aren't taking it easy anyway. And, you know, kind of funny, funny comments like that, which number one, you wouldn't expect them to. Number two, I think they have put in a few changes of, of girls who want to get starts, like um, to, to give some girls returning from injury and stuff, some good game time as well. So I think, Maybe you could argue that they've kind of taken, taken, you know, changed it up for Ireland, where they might not have against other teams. Mm. But um, oh, I, I, I don't know. I think um, again, again, the the amount of speculation. It, it's what we do in sport. But when the when the the gap between Ireland and Wales was kind of surprisingly big in in terms of performance, and and then and then the scoreline, you know, early in the tournament. And then Wales went on to absolutely smash Wales last week. I think it's understandable that it's daunting. Yeah. And I think I just, I'm going to do the same as I, I, I do every week and just support the girls and they're going to do the same as they do, which is just prepare as best they can, show up as best they can and, and do everything in their power to just, to, to keep this, you know, as, as kind of low key in terms of uh, scoreline and then lift their own performance as much as they can. That's that's an awful kind of reality to, mindset as well. Like, what do you do in the dressing room before that? And because as a player, um, it's almost like it's almost like taking on a prison sentence, where it's like I just have to do this, get it over with. Yeah, I don't think it's ever. Certainly for me, and throughout my career, we were always the step behind England because they had turned pr- that professional corner kind of just as I was coming into the Irish squad, really, and they'd already start to kind of push the gap with um, kind of, they'd gone semi-pro and then they'd gone pro going into a World Cup. And then they had, so they also, they also had very rocky periods leading into their professional, you know, setup. And so this isn't unique to Ireland. Like everyone's going to have like the things that they learn and stuff. It's just, it's really hard for Ireland to learn this now when everyone else is so far ahead. But in terms of like preparing for the game, do you know, and I, and I read, like, uh, they think they think they can win, or at least I've, I've heard that, I've seen that, like, you have to actually believe that. And, like, you know, reading um, quotes from, like, Dorothy Wall was just saying, you know, they're 15 people and we're 15 people. And we're, that's how we're approaching this, like, previous scores, everything else. Uh, you just have to... Um, you have to believe that. And actually, I remember Joe Schmidt came into us before the World Cup in 2017 and he s- talked to us about how Ireland would have prepared for playing the All Blacks. And he said, 
you know, they talk about the players kind of personally and talk about, um, you know, that they're not like infallible was the word he used and that um, they can also have a very bad day. That's how I always thought about it. I was like, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I play my best. That's my responsibility, obviously. All of the girls in the squad are going to be thinking that way. They're also going to believe that, you know, a team as good as England, like if you can get in their heads a little bit, that that'll affect them more than, that that will affect them a lot because they're so used to performing well and clicking really well. So that's what they're going, that's how they're going to to prepare for this. And, you know, if you're if you if you're more of a realistic, you know, and, and you know that, you know, this is, you're going into, like you say, um, going into a loss here and you know it could be very big, are you going into just damage control Maybe some players prefer to pr- approach it that way. I, I I don't know. I always, didn't matter who, I always believed that it was going to be like the day when everything went right for us and everything went wrong, wrong for them. That's how I always approached it. And I think that's how the girls will do it as well. Like it is the context of this entire tournament, right? Like, and it feels almost like a tournament we're just trying to get to the end of to take stock. And mm-hmm. there's all the chat about the grand plan. And I think that like it's... Um, you can buy into the grand plan, right? Because I know, look, we've talked about it again and we're not going to talk about it again this morning, but there is uh, elements of progress off the pitch that there is that that bit going on. Uh, But not much use to the 15 players who were on the pitch, potentially down in Cork, and the tries start to roll in. Like, Nicola Friday is not going to be gathering the troops under the post and reminded them about it's listen everything is fine the grand plan is coming down the track this is going to potentially be and I know what you're talking about 100% Greg McWilliams has talked about it we believe we can win and that has to be the chat clearly internally but equally it's going it's potentially and likely going to be a very tough day out for this group yeah absolutely and there's no there'll be no allusion to that like it will be very attritional You'll have like, you know, when you play against, um, if you're thinking of Wales and like some of their bigger players and like Italy, some of their bigger players, England is like a full team of that. You know, a full team of players that you need to be, um, you know, wary of. And, 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 you know, if you're thinking like, God, we have to get low on that player you have to do that for every single player uh, across the squad. But like, there are some young, you know, if you look at the front row, for example, and you know, to kind of hone in more on the rugby, like Mm. the scrum has been doing really well. So they have to kind of buy into that a little bit this weekend. You know, they've got like, England are coming, Hannah Botterman, who's an unbelievable player. She's coming back from injury. um, So she needs more game time. She won't be up to like, you know, full match fitness. Connie Powell and Maud Muir, they're like, they're only, you know, they're freshies into the squad as well. Like they're very experienced from their club and they've come in really well into the squad, but they are, you know, they're young English players as well. So that will be an area where Ireland will be like, okay, our scrum has been doing really well. Let's not let up. Let's do everything the same as we have been doing. We don't need to change anything. We just need to, even if it's just sticking your feet into the ground and just not letting them budge you, you you know that that that's what you're going to be thinking of and and um when when it starts to if 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 the steamroll starts how do you yeah you're right how do you stop it how do you where do you find an area to go like okay score line zero zero don't care 
what are we looking at now? What are we looking at now? What are we looking at now? That will be the chat. Like, okay, we didn't push wide enough. We're too narrow. We're missing tackles. Is the communication right? Like, they're all the things that they'll be... They'll be referring to technical elements under the post. Like, because um, as soon as you kind of run out of things to say or you start, like, getting annoyed at each other and the heads go down, that's, you know, that that's that's when you've lost, really. Yeah. Um, Scoreline score or not. Is, is there anything at all anything that the Irish players can take and benefit from this campaign if they're going to get hockeyed again right um, their scoring has been absolutely brutal this must be a really really tough mental experience for these players is there anything they can take going forward say this is our Nadir remember this moment bottle it because we can remember this and actually progress or is it just all terrible no of course they'll learn and like at the beginning of the tournament you know, the, 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 the question was always around like sevens, are the sevens going to come in or blah, blah, blah. And that, that conversation always happens around, you know, around this time of year. And, you know, the, the, the management at the start of the tournament were like, no, we're happy with the squad we have. Like, that's very valuable for that team. Now, the selections themselves haven't been as consistent as, as I would have liked because the thing with the sevens is you lose consistency in your selection when they come in and out. So they've got the same squad. Obviously, injuries happen, but even despite injuries, they've kind of been shifting the squad a lot. So it would have been nicer to get a little bit more consistency. But look, at least, you know, the squad and the journey they're all on together is the same. That, of course, it will stand to them. As long as, you know, they don't... And I don't, I don't think this will happen, but, you know, after such a really tough experience, could they all just be like, I'm doing them out and, you know, and, and, and turn away from, from the, from rugby. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen, but of course they'll learn like next year, they'll be better. They'll be a better group. They'll have learned a lot. Like, you know, and, and people are asking like, oh, should we bring in the sevens now? Well, what, what, what good would that do to this squad in terms of like, uh, we were, we were, you know, we were here last year. Oh, but if there are some players who were taken out of it because they weren't trusted or whatever, then they've that that experience has been taken away from them. So, like, I know it's really hard, but at least they're going somewhere together, this squad group. So, I think that that is what we're going to have to take from it, and that that is that's the reality of where we're at now. Yeah. You do hope that, like, obviously, as they accumulate the experience, because that's always seen as a good thing, and the uh, game hours and all that, that it's just not a burning experience, like you've pointed to there, that yeah, ultimately damages yeah. um, a group of young players. Ta- talk to us a little bit about the like the line-out specifically. I know you mentioned the strength of the scrum, the line-out obviously faltering the last day, um, a big reliance on Nicola Friday there, and there's obviously a change um, in the back row with Dorothy Wall out injured, and uh, Brittany mm-hmm. Hogan comes in to replace. Is there an easy... This is a stupid question. There's not an easy fix. Is there a fix for that specifically this weekend? It's such an important facet to win. Repetition. Repetition in, in, in camp. Change nothing. Obviously what they have, you know, they obviously have to trust what they have. They're just not nailing it. I don't think it's the fact that their 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 lineouts aren't good enough. I think I always found frustrating when, you know, when a lineout wasn't going right but you felt like you were so close to getting it right a coach might come in and change it all and and I really found that really frustrating I was like no we just need we just need a bit more time to like get everyone on the same page so I think that they will have repped and repped and repped and repped and repped and repped and repped repped so that there's no doubt because it's hard because when you've got changes a whole line out can change from week to week and also from one minute to the next like when it when a when a 
a change might happen because of an injury or an unforeseen change or something and a, and a player comes in specifically a back row because a back row needs to slot in like she could be a jumper or a lifter she could go in the middle go in the back or go in the front like there's a lot of different options where where you could slot in and you need to know every option in every in every part and every combination needs to be known that's very difficult to achieve even when you're full-time professionals that's difficult to get right when you know you're, you're on a I don't know, they've got like a lot of time together, you know, during these weeks, but still repetition would just be my thing that they will, I, I hope they will have worked on this week so that like bang when it's called, you're meeting the ball at the top, no one has missed a beat, everyone knows where they're at and um, that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that's what we'll see tomorrow and it'll be evident that they've worked on that. Yeah, we keep talking about green shoots. Hopefully we'll see um, a few, whatever they may be, this weekend. It's quarter past two, Musgrave Park uh, tomorrow. Get yourself down, watch it on the TV. And uh, hopefully we have a little bit of something better to talk about when we're chatting, hopefully, uh, next week. Anna, thanks a million. No worries. Talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Enjoy the snooker. Anna Capelis on the line there. Um, Who do you like for it, actually? The Rocket? Uh, I don't... I, I am absolutely um, Johnny-come-lately. When it gets to the latter stages, I'll uh, tune in and watch it a little bit. Just find that I have so much sport to watch oh, I'm watching it endlessly Johnny so like yeah, no, finding I'm more same, room same, for yeah. like particularly a sport like snooker that yeah. just obviously takes so long to watch it's just impossible like my attention span is so bad now like I, I can't watch a horse race without what's doing that something um, ADHD probably and also um, phones like phones yeah. are just making it way are way you worse on, you, did you not come off Twitter yeah, but it's not. It's not even social media. It's just right. like it's Everything. just. It's just like this constant. Um, it's really like. And I was the last person in my college class, I remember, to get a phone, and so that was in the end of first year. So I was, I I was kind of naturally averse to getting it. I I, I just for whatever reason I didn't really like the idea, and that was long before the smartphone. Mm. So now now it does everything. Bar go to the toilet for you, like yeah. it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's only a matter of time. And it's, you look at kids now, and you're like, do what hope do they have? Like I don't have kids, but the, the, my biggest worry would be how do I keep him or her off the iPad and the phone as best I can? And I've no chance. My young fellow is over. He's he's uh, switch mad. So he's six. He's switch mad. What does, switch? Does, doesn't have a switch, Nintendo Switch. It's like the latest sort of. It's go. just a console with like same mm. thing, whatever. And uh, he switch mad. Was around at his buddy's house the other day, and like just an hour on the switch goes by, click with fingers. But it's all. So a couple of his pals have it. He doesn't have one, mm. but it's all that gets chattered about now. But like the ease at which technology. Look at it's old man shakes his fist at the sky stuff, and there's an element of it that I'm all for because there's a bit of interaction with the mates going on and all that stuff. It's not all bad, you know but the there's definitely a management of it that my 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 only dad cast as not being a dad like contribution is like the kids is from is so familiar with the phone because the kid has probably been in a photograph. 10,000 times give or take whatever it is before he or she can even walk yeah. so at that stage he or she is totally familiar with the phone yeah. and is naturally inclined to go towards it and then once he or she can actually use the, the damn thing oh it's, I'm telling you they're frightening what's going on in my house bring, bring him to the outdoors as best you can Quarter uh, plenty of that quarter past nine uh, here on OTB AM here are some of the highlights on the OTB podcast network for you today we'll have League of Ireland match day of course uh, the women's Six Nations show we'll have Anthony Nash and Eddie Brennan coming your way as well you 
you can follow OTB across social and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network uh, during the ads um, you're going to hear a latest clip from the Women's Six Nations show Ali Donnelly Fiona Hayes talking to Ashling about uh, areas that Ireland can improve in against England and the Six Nations show is with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us we're back after the break it's Kathleen and Cameron in the Friday Fire Pit what is it called Friday Fire Pit? Friday Fire Pit. So we just put a bit more thought into dominating miserable the comments box this morning. Miserable <laughs> you got to call it like it is. It's Friday like what? The Friday Fire Pit. Is there a summer version of the name of this? Because like it feels like the analogy about pulling up the seat around the fire and cozying our hands around the flames. You never had a campfire in your life. Yeah, but like around the, in the summertime, it feels like it's uh, we're stretching the analogy. I was going to say like in people. Ireland, you're more likely to sit around a fire outside like during the summer so where, outside. Like, yeah well okay. like it's yeah, a nice day I, 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 you I, I, sit around like yeah. a little fire pit outside okay I can end of the day a little blanket about smartphones and that Kathleen and there's still something like never endingly magic about a fire and starting a fire and kindling a fire and a fire like if you go to the, this would be my favourite experience of it would be going to the Blasket Islands and if you stayed the night in the Blasket Islands at the end of the night everyone from all the houses they'd gather around the fire pit outside and across like from the fire you can see the mainland the lights of the houses and you Don't just have win. these flames and it's just like absolutely it's the most blissful experience ever I see they've a couple of custodians have uh, moved in to the Blaskets they do this every six yeah. months they give somebody new people the chance 100,000 people apply you'd be a great man for that this is uh, I, uh, yeah I wouldn't get it wouldn't get it 100,000 people apply like do they if you haven't been to Blaskets um, stay two nights just do it You'll never, you'll never regret What's it. What's the accommodation? Are you camping like? You're in a, a little cottage. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't have, um, doesn't, you can't have like hot showers. There's no hot water, no electricity. Just jump in the sea. But grand. you can jump more or less charge your phone, yeah. And you, you swim with the seals. And then it's like, it's basically like a nature reserve. Like you, you'll see hares that you'll never see on the mainland. Rabbits, loads of birds, um, sheep. Mainly the seals are the most amazing thing. But just like the... The um, whole sound of the ocean and just the views. What do you oh mean you can God. kind of charge your phone? There's uh, <laughs> <laughs> the caretakers last year were quite. Um, they do have a small little bit of energy from a little. Um, oh, the caretakers were ourselves the last time they were in. Huh? You were saying the caretakers were a bit like. No, but they don't want the everyone own. to be charging. Like the point is, go get away from your phone. But it is it is excellent 4G. So I was doing like Zoom calls from the Blasket Islands. Okay. Whether I liked it or not, I was working. But y- you kind of. You want like the basic kind of necessities, but at the same time you want to be removed from them. Yeah, but know, if yeah. you can charge your phone, obviously, well, because you want to take photos ultimately. You just do in case well. anyone is just tuning in, welcome to Off the Ball, the sports show. <laughs> yeah, the sports show. <laughs> at the start, he was like giving it. What were we on about at the start? Something, nothing to do. The monk and all, and uh, Colin. Oh, was you like, were talking a sports show, like doing it. Yeah, great vibes on Friday. Yeah, murder. Yeah, make, uh, meeting the murderer and gangs. Would apparently. you be having some of that, Cameron? Meeting the murderer. Meeting the murderer. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't be keen on meeting any murderers if that. No, Johnny's going to do that. And you I'm going to do it for you. Oh, on my. Uh, are you, is there a glass it. screen? Are you doing this by Zoom or are you going to go meet them and TBC? Leave no, one of going to meet them. Things that like yeah, yeah, okay. I'll listen to it. I'll listen to it. I'll give it a go. He hasn't made it yet, but you know. We'll yeah. <laughs> I haven't made it yet. Right. I only thought of it an hour ago. Cameron. Will we get into this? Where we go? So, I suppose the thing I wanted to talk about this week was that Arsenal video that came out. I don't know if you all saw that. Yeah. The, um, there's a 
girl outside dressing room. Can I just say, <laughs> Arsenal never gets talked about on this show. And the one time it's brought up consistently by every single person is like, oh, we should talk about this Arsenal video where all the Arsenal players look really, really bad. Well, people, yeah. And like, top of the league still. would never talk about the football. We barely get a question into most guests about them. It's always about United. It's always about, ooh, Harry Maguire, ooh, David De Gea. And then this is the one time we talk about Arsenal. I, I have my issues with so this. What was the Arsenal thing, Cameron? You'd rather talk about Arsenal in negative terms a la De Gea and Maguire, is it? No, I think she's saying the exact opposite of that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, this I don't was, think this is going to be though. a strong defensive Arsenal, but I mean, you know, you're getting your licks in early, which is good. Um, but the Arsenal video came out and it's um, the girl who's the mascot for the day uh, has her jersey and all the players sign the jersey, but just sign and walk on as like, they walk into like, the dressing room yeah like the, like they're signing a book of condolences and just moving on like the no no talk no chatter at all and um the players online arsenal put it on their social media and um it was roundly criticized why are you putting this up the players don't look particularly personable at all subsequently the father of the mascot um, went online and said actually she had a brilliant day she mm. met Mar- Martin Odegaard who's her favourite player um, it was really really excellent um, kudos to Arsenal but it was it really fascinated me that they got such stick for you know not engaging on you know their match day prep like when they were trying to get into the zone you'd feel and walking to the dressing room like I would feel that the the game day starts as soon as you get off the bus at the very least so they're probably in the zone and don't have like probably aren't in the mood to engage with fans as much and I think we should probably <laughs> give them that space um, I remember I met I, I went to Ireland England um, when I was a teen and my best friend's aunt worked for the IRFU I got to meet the players afterwards and it was a game that Ireland won so it was brilliant um, and we were standing in the corridor between where they were coming out um, to the president's suite in the Aviva and we got our photos and Joe Schmidt and a few of the others were incredibly nice and gave us a good bit of time but some of the players just took photos and left and I remember at the time feeling oh why weren't they you know stopping for a chat or whatever and then you're kind of like their families are in that room they're probably just trying to get the the last thing they want to see is adolescent Cameron waiting in the halls for a selfie and a chat they like Part of their day is they want to see their families. It was, all, for it a was really all, big the game. whole thing just got overblown. Didn't yeah. it? Is that it's like a I don't understand it. Molehill, the, the, I think the point that you made was that the dad and the girl, or the dad on behalf of the girl, issued some sort of a statement to say it was Grant. Yeah. Calm down. I my thing with it as well is that like I I do agree with some of the commentary. Like the player, someone could have smiled at her. I don't think it would have taken all that much out of your day. I actually kind of disagree with what you're saying, Carmen. In that like. Yes, you're in match day mode, but it doesn't take all that much to, you know, throw your eyes up and actually look someone in the face or in the eye. But I also think, why was she there in the first place? You know, why place a 10 year old girl outside the dressing room when you know all the players are going in probably in the mode of like thinking about the game, thinking about what's happening, you know, get the jersey signed earlier in the day whenever she's actually with the players and enjoying that and also- chat with them and stuff. But I also think that like, as Adrian was saying, it was just massively overblown. And like, there's we like the whole reason we were talking about this earlier was like, what is the expectation on players? What is the expectation from fans? What are we owed as fans? And I think you kind of have to accept when you're a player that there is something that you owe your fans. Like, I mean, these guys are paid 
tens of thousands of euro every week to kick a ball around for 180 minutes a week. I don't think it's all that much to ask for them to stand and I take disagree. a photo or sign uh, yeah, something. I disagree. Like, first of all, right, it, if a tree falls in the forest, it, it, does everything have to be on social media or it didn't happen? Like, why does this need to be filmed? But secondly, like, it, it doesn't really matter, Kathleen, like, it doesn't matter how much money Harry Maguire is paid, paid. That if he were paid half what he's on, it wouldn't make it any easier for him or harder not to make mistakes. And they are human. And I, I, I look at Rachel Blackmore as race meetings and I looked at Frankie Dettori and Frankie Dettori is totally different on camera than off it he poses for the photographs but part of him obviously hates it because it's just it's hard and it's tiring it's incessant is the thing it's incessant and it's it's hard and it's funny you mentioned that um, Cameron about the Ireland game this is a little bit of a off the point but I only got this text the other day about this lad who's he'd be probably 50 odd now he goes my second Ireland game was against Cyprus that November brother-in-law took me have the programme full of photographs all Barb, all Barb Brady and Stapleton who blanked us and he still remembers that and you do remember as a kid and now I, as a kid I'd be like that's terrible I'd say but now I'd be like I'm having a bad day here I just can't do reflection on your pal because like Jesus like Brady I thought he was going to say like Robbie Brady and like uh, Brady and Stapleton. Time, time to build a bridge. And you can imagine Chippy Brady like blanking you, like the, one of the greatest, like one of the greatest. And you think, mm. oh, but he might have been having a bad I day. I think the context of this very specific thing is that they were what they had. Seems as if they'd probably come off the bus. They were walking into the ground. In the zone. They were about to go into the dressing room. Absolutely in the zone. Yeah. yeah. Like them stopping to do anything. Why did it need to be on was, social media? Why did it need to be? Well, I, yeah, look at whatever. They're obviously, Arsenal were trying to demonstrate that they were happen. doing something good. It didn't good happen if whatever. it was on social media. It never happened. Yeah. We wouldn't be talking about it. Why did they need to film it? But also, like the dad said, she had a great day. She was like, did she walk out in the tunnel like holding Odegaard? It was clear that Odegaard, when Odegaard came over. By the way, look, I equally think they could have cracked a smile or like giving her a little nod yeah. wouldn't have knocked anything off their day but at the same time like let's not have a big craze uh, yeah, now I, I, of like these like we don't want a big reaction to this where every club has to be seen to be going OTT I think even mascots. even post game I would be like okay you know you have you've won or the results there if they'd won a match and then I mean, you know, the West Ham game didn't really go to plan for them. But um, that was the other ridiculous thing as well. People started like blaming the little girl for the fact that Arsenal had drawn the game. They were like, <laughs> she took them out of like the game zone, and I was like, Jesus Christ, lads! <laughs> the pen they used time was laced with something. Generally. Just like it's not a bad, it's not a bad, uh, oh, bad point, Johnny. Yeah. Quite a like, point generally, yeah. Um, but I'm sort of I'm waiting. I mean, this could come later in the day, or could be out already. I haven't checked, but. I'm waiting for the obligatory De Gea apology for last night. Mm. Like De Gea, De Gea's Instagram is like a mosaic of just apologies for terrible performances, and I don't even think that should be like the norm for players. You know, like the this apology and oh, players deserve a sort of maybe a, a refund for the money that they've paid. That's not the deal. The deal is you go along to the game and you watch your team. It's not a pay-to-win thing, and I don't think teams should have to apologise because they probably feel pretty terrible about performing badly anyway. Do you know who does those posts really well is uh, Rusha Littlejohn. So she'll do the classic, you know, bad performance last night, we go again, and then she'll leave, like, a couple of lines, and then she'll have, like, some really hilarious comments at the very bottom, kind of, like, making fun of the whole, you know, oh, so sorry, it was a terrible game. We're, we're trying our best. We love the fans. Thank you for coming out and supporting us. And then she'll just have something completely sarcastic at the end of it. And I always, every time I see those posts come up, I'm like clicking the see more on Instagram to be like, what's she going to say today? That's how you do it. Mm. Yeah, I just, I think there's a lot of expectation. Like fans, 
are entitled for to an acknowledgement for the players that things were wrong or we should you know we should do better. But apologising is and though, like, out. the players aren't actually writing those apologies. It's their social media teams. Totally, like, the players yeah. don't even know it's probably going out half the time. But De Gea apologising in like post match pressers or post match interviews as well. Says, "Oh, sorry to you guys." I don't even think that's necessary, to be honest. I didn't see the Christian Eriksen interview after last night, but apparently Paul Scholes was losing his mind about the what appears to have been this particular topic. Uh, about just yeah, a lack could, of... I, it wouldn't have yeah. been for Paul Scholes uh, coming on to social media and saying, oh, sorry about that, we go again. Yeah, well, you wouldn't have had that in um, the day. The League was, of Ireland uh, players can be quite funny. Like we, we oh, keep, yeah? We Keith Ward on during the week, and when they beat Bowes back in the day, um, he nicked the corner flag kind of at the end of the game, and at that time, Stephen Bradley was slagged for saying every time they play Bowes, it's it's Bowes Cup final. It's their Cup final when they play Shamrock Rovers. So Bowes uses his motivation. But Keith Ward, I remember he he goes, "Sorry for nicking uh, the corner flag. Uh, we'll take it out of the Cup final bonus." And uh, then you'd have like uh, Keith Buckley, who was getting the Lewis home after winning the game against Rovers, just like taking a selfie with all the Bowes fans and the Lewis. And that's more like it than going on Instagram to your million followers. The other topic we had today off the back of um, Is the League of Ireland Cool from yesterday? <laughs> I'm just pointing <laughs> out clearly that it is. Yeah, incredibly. <laughs> but who would be the coolest sports person, in your opinion? Who do you find the coolest? In general? Yeah. Like, do, you know, do you know who it actually is? Because I imagine more towards his age, almost than players, Carlo Ancelotti. Carlo Ancelotti. It's a good shout. That's a very good he shout. He literally, like, the, the ball in the first leg went over the line and he did, like, three kind of little um, keepy-uppies and then, like, nudged it back into play in this unbelievable three-piece suit um, looking, what is he, 60-odd? Um, what is Carlo? He's well in his 60s yeah. anyway. He's just the coolest. And he's Italian. What more do you want? And he somehow manages all these millionaires with no issue. Uh, Two-word answer for me, Dustin Brown, guy who beat Nadal at Wimbledon in 2013, just oozes cool. That was more than two words, but... Uh, <laughs> well, I wasn't good at maths. The, there was the also silence show. after you said it, in fairness. Who so. are you having, Adrian? Uh, I don't know, like uh, James Lowe, Denise James Sullivan. James Lowe is... Yeah. Denise Sullivan's a great shout. Like, that goal. That goal during the week. Class. So. Yeah. Cool. Uh, we're over time. Wouldn't be like us. James Lowe is just cool, though, isn't he? Like, he's like he's literally... You know exactly... It's the hair. Him. He'd be dead on. Hair tying. And, and Kiwis are just class. And he'd be like... He'd be a great lad to do anything with, really. Kiwis are class is a perfect note to leave. Kathleen, thanks a million for coming in. Cameron, thanks a lot. Thank you. Johnny, I don't know when we'll see you again. Soon, hopefully. Westmeads the weekend, yes or no? Um, in either code? Uh, certainly not in one, and hopefully in the other. <laughs> <laughs> That's the spirit Monday show uh, Well they're like I don't know, I don't know. Uh, Jared and Nathan Are going to bring you The Gillette Labs Performance rankings We'll have Anthony Moyles We'll have Andy Mitten Alison Miller And plenty more as well OCB AM With Gillette Labs Get the ultimate shave Or your money back Neon Night Edition Available now